Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson, and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games we play. My guest today is a friend of the show and a cursed idol enthusiast, Suvesh, aka Mystic Referee. Hey Dave, uh, yeah, thank you so much for uh, inviting me onto this podcast. Um, you, you know, this is not something I usually do, but uh, it just so happened that I was hanging out in the in the sl- in the Duffeet Slack that evening and just put out the question about Kingsfield Four, and I would, you know, I just love the game so much that I would jump at the chance to talk about it with someone. So thank you again for my hell yeah yeah glad to have you come on the show. And like you said, today's game that we're talking about is Kingsfield Four, also known as Kingsfield: The Ancient City. Uh, I think that's the North American uh, title of the game, which is a uh, first-person action RPG developed by From Software and published in North America by Agitech in 2001. Elevator pitch for Kingsfield 4, for people who may not be familiar with it, is this is a first-person From Software before they started making Souls games. So it's kind of a look back into the history of From Software. Yeah, um, and, and that's right. Uh, the nomenclature of Kingsfield is uh, can be confusing to a lot of people. It was uh, <laughs> one, two, one, one, two, three, and four in Japan. One just never got released here, so two, three, and four just were one, two, an ancient city. And uh, yeah, uh, that that's that, that elevator pitch really kind of su- summarizes it. But as uh, from personal experience and having spoken before to people that have, you know had experience with like the older age of like from software and or like have revisited these older games there's a lot more to them um you know so yeah Uh, yeah and we're definitely going to get into that extra stuff like this this isn't a first person souls game you know this is this is its own thing and we'll draw comparisons where they're due uh, but this is its own thing in a lot of ways too so uh but before we get into kingsfield what else uh, have we been playing lately? So we'll start with you, Mystic. What have you been playing? All right. So before the holidays, um, I finally started playing Death Stranding. Um, oh, I, <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> so the funny thing about Death Stranding is that it was you just couldn't escape it, right? When it first came out, um, obviously, right. and you know, just just so much, you know. Uh, it was just an event, I think, when it came out. Like, most people, like, wondering what that game is. So I just, even though I didn't play the game, because, like, I, I was just, I wasn't sure if, if that was that was going to be something for me. I did check out, like, a bunch of LPs when it came out. And then my wife played through it. Um, so I pretty much knew the entire story of the game, having watched LPs and having played, you know, watch people play the game and uh, having watched mm-hmm. it at home as well. Um, I'm going to say, like, the Kojima-ness of it, is a little bit too much for me at times. Uh, it's it's uh, a lot. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. lot. <laughs> but <laughs> man, oh man, like when it it hits its highs in like its quietest moments, I think. Um, and, you know, it's just been in my head for a long time. And I definitely wanted to, uh, you know, play it at some point in the future. And the director's cut was a great excuse to get back into it. And, and yeah, like, even though I've, you know, pretty much know the plot of the game, you know, seen seen most of it like when it's a hiking simulator you know in its quietest mm-hmm. moments it's it's uh it's pretty transcendent i think this is it's a game that will age really well um you know i 
as much as I, it pains me to say it, like there isn't much like it. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there's not much like it. I, I still don't know if there's going to be another AAA game like that anytime in the future. I don't know where Kojima Studios will go from here. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so, you know, it just resonates a lot with me. And, um, well, funnily enough, just because I, I know how the game plays, uh, just like another game, Breath of the Wild, it's a game that I think I'll keep going back to. I don't I have no, you know, intention to like, you know, railroad it all the way to the finish or anything. Uh, I just pick it up once in a while and, you know, do a quest or two, just like quietly walk through the mountains. And I don't know, it just puts me in a space that I've really been enjoying, you know, prior to the holidays and after that. Um, however, like just around Christmas, I kind of felt sick uh, <laughs> uh, with a, you know, with just a cold. Uh, thankfully, it turned out to not be COVID, uh, but just like a really serious cold. Um, though who knows, I guess. Um yeah, so it, when I was really sick, I just started another Dark, Soul, Dark Souls One run because it's just my comfort game uh, yeah, on the Switch. Yeah. Um, on the Switch, I just wanted to set myself a challenge, so I just went for Calamite's Tale and you know just did a bunch of fun stuff in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, really got into roguelike deck builders over the last couple of years. Um, so Slay the Spire is just mm-hmm. one of one of those forever games for me. I just play it at night almost every day. <laughs> So nice. I've been doing that. I'm glad I get someone coming on the show and talking about Death Stranding. Like, do you want to do that for two hours? <laughs> I was gonna say, like, uh, I would, I would love to do a whole episode about Death Stranding, but I, I, I either need to replay it or I need to like watch. I need to brush up on the story. Oh yeah, and the like. I'm so you said the Kojima-ness is kind of out of control. And I, I totally agree. Uh, but it, it, that doesn't bother me. It's just kind of a, a big commitment. Like I thought about going back and buying the director's cut just to see like what weird stuff got added in since I played it. Um, but I don't know. I, I've heard most criticism. I, I've heard almost nobody criticize the gameplay, which is weird because the gameplay is just, you know, walking and, trying to carry your stuff up a hill without falling over and it's like super engaging and great uh people criticize like the cutscenes and the story content which i think is weird but like i kind of liken it to those like made for tv sci-fi channel movies that are like they're purposely right, right. shitty and i i don't think kojima's making it purposely stupid i think he think it's he thinks it's actually good uh, but to me it's just kind of like it's almost comedy how mm-hmm. like campy and stuff it is it's uh so i was like legit laughing during a lot of the cutscenes when like serious things are happening um <laughs> but the the gameplay in death stranding is just it's incredible and i would yeah i would like to do that for like, a further episode of the show i just got to figure out like do i actually need to replay it do i remember enough about it to talk intelligently or do i have to actually you know go back in and do the whole thing again which is not so enticing for me even though i did really like it yeah and you know not to dwell on it too too much but like i i agree with you i think it said it's best when it's when it feels like one of those sci-fi b movies or something you know yeah Um, yeah for sure yeah (laughs) and um yeah i mean i've I've seen all perspectives on it um you know uh, as someone you know as i said my wife my wife played through that game and really loved it so you know she really you know emotionally resonated with a lot of the themes in there and and there are like you know man like how uh crazy is it that 
that game's plot has been vindicated by everything that's been happening since 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 then i guess it's like the universe everything kind of aligned to you know all those themes about connection and uh you know mm-hmm. uh you know people having to work for for the sake of others you know through uh a cataclysm you know all of that yeah. stuff you know it's <laughs> sam it's porter kind of bridges is the uh the original essential employee during the pandemic oh, yeah it's it's kind of nuts how it just kind of all that kind of aligned uh, it's sad also but um yeah it's you know yeah it does its best when it's like a b movie but i i really value slowness in games and uh mm-hmm. you know that that's something it's kind of a per- perfect episode for that because Kingsfield is, or Ancient City especially, can be slow. And it's funny because yep. the first three Kingsfield games are kind of go at like a much faster pace. You know, they're more, they feel a bit more arcadey, um, mm-hmm. even though I guess the rotating, I mean, we'll get at that. The rotating speed is like not as uh, slow in those games. But, but yeah. Um, yeah. But, but that's sort of like taking a moment to yourself and treating it as a meditative experience. I, I value that a lot and I've been. I've been cherishing that a lot more in the past couple of years and mm-hmm. uh, getting my hands on the controller and actually feeling the weight, you know, off, off everything you have to, you know, put on your back. Um, you know, just watching is a, it is one thing, but like actually making the trek, you know, you know, through, through a mountain, you know, having to do all that is really, it is the best hiking game. It, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's like, <laughs> It's a genre now in my head. Like you know, there there isn't much like it. There was a there was a short hike. I don't know if you ever played that game. The yeah, like there's a very, a... yeah. It was a very small game. You know, you could finish it in like an hour or two. And uh, that that to me, like they're similar games in my in my head because it's you know, create your own goals, go at your own pace. You know, though that's what I'm saying. Like you know, there are parts of Death Stranding, there are quests where it like really pushes you to do something in a time limit or like. You know, when when the BTness of it kind of goes up too much, you know, and it's asking you to brush up against some other systems is when, like, uh, you know, it doesn't work for me as much. But, like, you know, as I for me, the ideal version of Death Stranding is just giving you rough terrain uh, rather than yeah. throwing you in a field of BTs, right? The, the mm-hmm. challenging myself on a rough terrain works for me so much more than uh, having to tap mash my buttons trying to get out of you know a very sticky situation not to turn this into the death stranding episode but i ended up playing it on uh like easy combat difficulty or just straight up easy difficulty because i i'm like you like i really valued the challenge of uh trying to make it over some like rough terrain or making it you know across a long gap or figuring out stuff like that and i didn't really value the challenge of the bt sections but like I like I'm totally with you that when you ha- are just presented with like this is uh you know you have to get around this mountain figure out how to do it without breaking your your stuff that you're carrying I it's super engaging um in a way that like people who just like reductively say oh death stranding that's that walking game like d- it they it's not you know that's not capturing what it's actually like to walk in Death Stranding. It's oddly uh, more engaging than you could ever expect uh, without playing it. So I'm glad uh, I'm glad you dug it, and um, we'll we'll talk about From Software here in a minute. But I'm also glad to hear that 
Dark Souls is like your uh, comfort game <laughs> in times when you need comfort because oh, yeah. I'm also it's, I'm also the same way. To me, it's a game which feels like I'm visiting my home or something. You know, it's yeah. I I know every nook and cranny. Like for sure, going somewhere brings back memories. Uh, it gives me nostalgia. Like I'll get into it more, but like it's a game that when I played it and finished it. I had nostalgia for it, mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's a interesting experience because my favorite media or my favorite book or movie or thing is like that. You know, the the fondness for the place I was in when I was going through it um, is just so like it feels like a hug or <laughs> something, and especially when I'm sick and like oh, I don't want to do anything. You know, just lying in bed. Yeah, just. You know, that's my game. <laughs> yep. Same. Like if I'm, you know, maybe if I'm feeling sick or if I'm just like, you know, I play a lot of games. This is like my, um, this is my preferred method of entertainment. I don't watch a lot of movies. I don't watch many, you know, Netflix shows or anything like that. Sometimes I'll get into ruts where I'm like, I'm just, you know, I'm playing a couple games. I'm not really feeling either one. So I'm just going to like start up a new Dark Souls file and I'll, I'll play the first few levels. But like, that's kind of like, like you said, returning to a comfortable place. Um, and uh, it, it's, it's weird to, it's weird for people who are not like big Dark Souls fans, I think, to hear that because like the games are somewhat stressful and they're, they're difficult and all of that. But it, it really is like returning to a comfortable place. So I'm, I'm totally with you there. And continuing on the uh, From Software uh, track, let's uh, get into Kingsfield. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. So we are going to get into Kingsfield 4. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to call it Kingsfield 4 because I, I'm not going to say Kingsfield, the ancient city, the entire time. Uh, Kingsfield is a game that will have some spoilers. There will be a spoiler section at the end of this episode, just like most episodes of the show do. Um, so hang on for like spoiler uh, story talk in that spoiler section, but also mostly like level experiences set pieces memorable moments because uh if you've played any from software game you know that they're not so upfront with like direct storytelling which means uh, as always that i did not pick up a whole lot of story while i was playing but we'll get into that as we go we usually begin by giving our histories with the game and uh, our histories with from software since it's such an important connection that a lot of people are going to have if they're going to go play Kingsfield for the first time, you know, now. So, Mystic, we start with the guest first. Uh, what is your kind of history with Kingsfield 4 and from software? All right. Um, well, I'm going to have to go back to 2012, I think, when a very close friend of mine uh, who absolutely just loved Dark Souls 1, he would just talk to me about it every time, you know, something cool happened in that game. 
But as you know, like if you if you know nothing about the game, it just all sounds you know it just goes in one ear and goes out the other ear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is like now I know that the way he was talking about it, it just kind of all makes sense. But just hearing over and over how things were just so hard, like that never like appealed to me that much. Um, uh, but you know. He, he loved it so much, and now I get it, because I would do something very similar at this moment. You know, he just gifted it to me for my birthday, right? Like, I would absolutely do that now if I have a very close friend, and I, I just give them Dark Souls, because, you know, it just yeah. means so much to me. So <laughs> please, please have it, you know? Uh, so he gave it to me in 2012. I tried it. Uh, I played it. Um, I remember getting up to, like, maybe Undead Berg or so, but I gave up, because I was just dying too much, and, uh, you know, I think... Also, I had Mass Effect 3 maybe around that time. So I just jumped back into other games. So I think Portal or whatever too. And uh, yeah, I just never played Dark Souls, which is kind of funny because like a lot of people have a very similar experience of like playing it and then stopping it and getting back to it at some point. But um, mm-hmm. and then 2015, um, late tw- or mid 2015 or so, uh, I got um, a PS4. I wanted some exclusives, so I picked up Bloodborne. Um, I was going to say, we know what that means. <laughs> PS4, one exclusives, there we yeah, go. That, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I think I remember watching playthroughs of it. It just looks so stylish. Um, and I knew it was probably going to be hard again, but I just, you know, I wanted something to play. Um, I was willing to, you know, try it. And I just, I don't know why I made the decision, you know. Having given up on Dark Souls, I don't know why I picked up Bloodborne. I think some something about how dynamic it just felt and, uh, you know, uh, how people are just praising it so much. It just had so much critical love, you know, pouring everywhere. Um, so I, pi- I picked it up and I think it was when I beat Cleric Beast or so that I just... Something happened, I think, that night, you know? <laughs> I just... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I kind of... It just... Everything clicked into place like machinery like in my head like i kind of get it i kind of get what's happening here you know there i did feel a bit accomplished you know but that's the that's the cheapest thing about it i feel like the feeling accomplished you know with the game now i don't like really put that much value on it or anything but it did hit the those emotional buttons in my head but also like just all the enemies talking to you in a weird way when you're fighting them or like just the mystery mm-hmm. of it uh just how every corner seemed to have something crazy going on or whatever. And like, what is going on in this game kind of thing that just really hooked me. But the funny thing about all of this is that I think I got through like midway through Bloodborne, um, maybe up to Vicar Amelia or so. And like, I was just dying so much and I just, just didn't have the hang of the game that much or whatever. Uh, I don't even know how I beat, how I beat Gascoigne, honestly. Um, uh, so I kind of gave up on Bloodborne. I, I stopped playing it. Um, and I, I still had my Dark Souls 1 disc and my PS3 still hooked up. Um, so I was like, all right, let me go back to Dark Souls 1. Because I remember it being slower. And mm-hmm. this game has had enough going on that I kind of want to give Dark Souls 1 a, a chance again. And the weird osmosis of like picking up the lessons I did from Bloodborne, coming back to Dark Souls 1, seeing things beyond Undeadburg where I'd like written off it does like, all right, I'm just going to have a whole bunch of zombies come up to me in this game and it's just going to be hard. But like getting beyond Underberg and like everything kind of clicking into place, I just had maybe the perfect playthrough of Dark Souls 1. 
Like everything, <laughs> okay. everything was perfect. You know, I just, I was playing it at the perfect times of day, early in the mornings and the weekends, feeling like a little kid. Uh, just everything like that could, if a developer was probably sitting, you know, next to me, I, he would probably be very happy, you know, like everything mm-hmm. like, you know, Lautrec destroying Firelink Shrine, me struggling through Blighttown. Uh, I remember entering Blighttown and like everything, the frame rate crashing to 10 as the title screen came up and I, me dying. <laughs> that was just crazy. Uh, yeah. But like just the <laughs> ascent, ascent into an Orlando, like all of the experience, like it just hit like a primal chord in, in my body. Like I, I used to love the Prince of Persia games growing up. Um, and I was also a big fan of like mythology and like medieval you know, sort of, uh, uh, sort of like that dungeon core kind of <laughs> like, it kind of took me back to like when I was a kid and playing games, you know, like, uh, mm-hmm. the, the feeling of it, obviously I didn't understand everything that was happening in the lore and all that, but like, it was just so perfect that it, it's my favorite game of all time. Dark Souls one is my favorite game of all time. Funnily enough, Bloodborne is the one that hooked me to get me into it. And I love that game a lot as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, as I said, like when I finished Dark Souls One, I immediately had nostalgia for it. Like I still still do. It's I can't put it into words. It's just so special to me, and I, I really opened my eyes to what video games can be. And like I, re- I, it's funnily enough, I looked at every video game a different way after that. It's like it made me want to engage with the ins and outs and of the systems of every game. Um, I pushed myself to play harder or like different genres of games that I wouldn't have played. You know, uh, it, it was just, it is kind of funnily enough, a turning point for me. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's so widely praised that it might feel like hyperbole to a lot of people, but like it is, there's a reason it's widely praised. Right. And I, I might've had the same experience as a lot of people that praised it, but it's still a real experience and it still means a lot. Right. And, uh, and so yeah, like and, that, I was going to say that love for, uh, for Dark Souls, like obviously got you to kind of check out the stuff that's you know in from software's history right i mean immediately i played through dark souls 2 because uh, i hadn't played that <laughs> and i played through demon souls because i still had a ps3 uh i remember like i think i finished all those games like maybe by the time 2016 ended i, I was uh-huh. through <laughs> one two demon souls and bloodborne i was just uh, it's it's crazy. Like I'm sure all of us have ever had these ex- this experience, or like people that are watching you are like, "What is going on? Like, why are you so obsessed with this stuff?" Um, but yeah, I also joined the Duckfeed community. I was listening to all these podcasts a lot, uh, and I remember the Duckfeed guys covering Kingsfield. And uh, yeah, I was just on wiki holes, searching internet content about this game and this developer, and I just really deeply got. Uh, I remember listening to the Kingsfield Four soundtrack. And before I even played the game, it was just a mainstay in my playlist for a while because just, again, like, there's something about it that just hits all the buttons for me, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I, I just use it as a calming, you know, soundtrack during work or something, and, like, before I even played the game. So by the time I started the game, I knew the soundtrack uh, back to front. So I got, it like, a used PS2 for very cheap um, and the Kingsfield 4 um, translated version. Um and I played it on my PS2. And yeah, since then, I've checked out the Shadow Tower games. I've played Eternal Ring. Uh, I've tried the Kingsville 2 and 3. I haven't finished them, but uh, I have kind of mid, mid-halted playthroughs of those in my emulator. So yeah, like, yeah. So it might be a very similar story to a lot of people that f- fell in love with these games. But yeah, it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like, 
I, I don't know. I think for the majority of people that are listening to this show and for me too, like the, the later games, like the souls games are going to be the thing that makes people curious about the earlier from software games. Cause I like, I don't know this for sure, but I have to assume that, you know, Kingsfield four wasn't, you know, a huge success on the PS two, you know, not at all. And it also received like very middling reviews. I mean, not that I don't know how much reviews meant back then, because like, especially with the PS2 era, it just kind of feels like, you know, word of mouth and like, you know, you you just, you just have one or two video games that you'd have. And like, right. the, those would be what you you were obsessed with. So people, they are cult video games in that way, obviously. So the critical, uh, critical analysis might not mean too much by now. But yeah, it, I don't think... Yeah, they weren't that popular. I don't I just, you know, the reevaluation of them, I think they stand up much, you know, really well. But compared to the games of their time, I, you know, I don't think you can call them big successes at all. Right. So, like, for my own history with this, like, I, I didn't have a PS2 uh, when I was younger. And, like, I had a lot of friends that had PS2s, but I never heard anyone talk about Kingsfield or any of the other, you know, From Software games. Like, frankly, I thought, as many people may assume, I thought From Software started with Demon's Souls, uh, which is obviously not the case. They're much, much older than that. Um, But like you, I'm a huge fan of the Souls games. Um, I had a similar experience with Dark Souls. We're getting into this thing again where, because I record these episodes so far in advance, there will be a Dark Souls episode that is out by the time this episode is out. And in that uh, episode, I talk about how I bounced off of Dark Souls because of Capra Demon my first time, and I quit, and I came back six months later and fell in love, and it, it's basically the same story as you. And I I also had that thing where I like I played Bloodborne, Dark Souls 3, and Dark Souls 2 basically for the first time all in the span of one year. Yeah. Um, you just want more. You just want more, more, more. And Sekiro too, like all, you know, all within basically the same year, year and a half. And um, also like you, I'm, I'm a big fan of the uh, podcast Bonfire Side Chat that's been mentioned on this show several times. Uh, I think it's basically the definitive podcast for Souls games and Souls-like and from software games. So like you, I heard them talking about Kingsfield. And I was like, oh, cool. Well, I don't have a PS2, so I'm not going to play that. But then uh, I remembered that emulators are possible. And so I was tooling around with like seeing what emulators would work on my like terrible PC that I've mentioned many times on the show. PS2 emulator works. And so I, I was like looking at games and I was like, oh, well, you know, a lot of the stuff I want to play has been re-released. You know, like I would like to play Final Fantasy X, but they they did a remaster, so I don't need to fool around with PS2 stuff. But then I was like, oh shit, uh, Kingsfield, I've heard that game is interesting. I'll try that on the emulator. And so I gave it a download. I tried it out a few months later when I was feeling, you know, like I I kind of had a sort of an idea of what to expect. And when I was in that mood, I decided to check it out. Um, Full disclosure for people listening, I played about five hours without a guide uh, in Kingsfield, I got to, I did not get very far. Um, <laughs> I don't even think I made it out of the city ruins, the first real level. Uh, so I pulled up a guide. Uh, I watched some let's plays, uh, from, uh, from Cole, from, uh, Duckfeed, 
his Let's Play. And that really helped me like kind of get the hang of what I was supposed to do. So I did play this basically this entire game with a guide and I played it emulated and I used save states like every 30 seconds. I'm so yes. glad that I did. Yes. Uh, I would, I 100% would not have made it through this game without save states. Uh, so I just want to get that, you know, up front for everybody. Um, my playthrough took me about 25 hours, I would say, if people are listening and you're curious, you know, how long these games take, it took me about 25 hours. That is with save states though. So I can only assume that if you're dying and have to walk back from, you know, the checkpoints that are pretty sparse, um, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. Yeah. Quick note about that. I, Absolutely, we all should normalize save states. We should normalize yes. cloud saves in AAA games. I think the dif- difficulty portion of all this game, all these games, is obviously overrated. You know, as as we all know, and like, uh, you know, normalize cheating, normalize mods, normalize you know save states, normalize cloud saves. It's absolutely like if it leads you to have a much better experience, I think we should absolutely do it. And totally, I think having a guide is definitely helpful, especially because like you know, the the age of the game and sometimes, like, I, you know, the, and that could be a fault of the game as well. Like, there are many places where, like, you want to put a key in something and it doesn't seem to be working, even though you have to do that and you're just not in the right place and when you're putting the key mm-hmm. in and you just maybe get stuck yeah. for, like, an hour. Instead of that, you can just look it up and save yourself that pain, you know? Yeah, I've said this on, on the show Uh, before but i play games with guides most of the time if it's a game that uh has things like that and i get the feeling like if i hit a couple points in the game where i'm like i have no idea what i'm supposed to do next i'm not the type of person who's just gonna like poke at every single corner in the game until i find the next path unless it's like a you know i think that's what i do in souls games but um a lot of older games are not very good at uh, like letting you know at least like where you're supposed to go next. And Kingsfield's no different from that, I don't think. So like I, I am trying to normalize this on this show using guides, use save states, whatever you got to do to get like the best experience out of uh, a game, especially something like this. No, uh, no shame in that at all uh, from my perspective. So yes. Um, we're going to get into the basic like mechanics and how this game works in uh, Kingsfield. And we're going to start by talking to talking about like connections to later from software games, because this is the perspective that I think a lot of people are going to go into Kingsfield for with the perspective of somebody who has already played Dark Souls. And I assume if you're digging in the deeper from software catalog that you like Dark Souls. And uh, it's something that you value. I really can't imagine someone being like, I really hate Dark Souls and I don't like Bloodborne. I want to play the old FromSoft games. I (laughs) really can't imagine someone saying that. So um, like this frame of reference of having played later games is going to be what I think a lot of people are going into this game with. So um, I don't know. Do do you agree with that before, before, you know, I drag you into this conversation? (laughs) Absolutely. I, I totally agree with it. And it it also is very good archaeology, I think, uh, if you're a Souls fan, um, you know, it, which is what we all love to do in these games is uh, look at 
ruined kingdoms uh from software mm-hmm. is not a ruined kingdom but it is it is great to it is great to go back you know uh, and i i am of the firm belief that it's from software is actually a very deeply iterative studio um mm-hmm. you know people have complaints about some of the newer games sort of like having callbacks you know some some of them i agree with you know some sometimes uh you know not to get into that stuff too much but like uh Sometimes it can kind of be too on the nose and like, you know, yeah, it, it can feel in, in Dark Souls 3 and stuff right, like that. It can that. feel redundant, yeah, uh, you know, it can feel redundant or like, you know, not really serving like a larger purpose, even though, again, there are people that disagree or like, you know, I love all these games, you know, it's fine. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, I, but I'm of the firm belief that they're a very iterative studio. And like, if you go back to their very first video game, Kingsfield 1, it, it's... Kingsfield is is Dark Souls, is Armored Core, is Bloodborne, is Sekiro. You know, again, you know, Sekiro is not a Souls game, but it, we, I hope people are getting what I'm saying. It's like there are certain things about the sort of um, heart at the at the center of these games that's very from software. You know, right. first King, Kingsfield game. You know, there's challenge. There's there's uh, you know, uh, crestfallen or like, you know, there's a dragon, there's like a early boss that you will die to. There's traps that are, you know, that the game wants you to be, you know, mm-hmm. respectful of. There's uh, systems on systems that like intersect with in interesting ways. There's the game teaching you a language and then uh, sort of, you know, telling you a story using that language or like, you know, integrating a system into that, you know, there. All of those hall- hallmarks of like modern from software games are in their older games. Right. And like, I don't want to project too much when I say this, but like, I thought, and I assume other people also think, or just associate like everything that you like about Dark Souls games, you associate with Miyazaki because he's the, he's, he is an auteur now. People are calling him an <laughs> auteur uh, for this, this type of game. But by playing Kingsfield, uh, and knowing that Miyazaki didn't work on Kingsfield, he didn't even work for the company at the time, uh, you start to see like, oh, this is a From Software thing and Miyazaki brought stuff to the company and to the Souls series. But like, this is not all him. This is stuff that was here before he even worked for the company. So that was kind of cool uh, for me to kind of discover and think about. Yeah, and you know, it's true of a lot of Japanese companies, uh, it, which is what you know. I hear it's not like I know it from personal experience or anything, but like right. uh, the, a lot of companies or legacy comp- you know companies, especially video game companies. You know, it's it's a big deal if if teams or big uh, names kind of move away from a studio they've been affiliated with for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and similarly, in from software, like a lot of people that work in in that studio are like they come with the furniture, you know, the, my favorite example of this is like the music, right? Um, like for the, the, there's a core, you know, group of people that create music for from software games. Uh, you can look it up. Uh, they even have, they gave themselves a name. I think they play as a band and everything too. They're called frequency and, you know, uh, modern names that we know about, such as Yuka Kitamura, who's like, who's done music for like some of the modern from software games, uh, Sukasa Saido, um, mm-hmm. uh, um, I'm blanking on a couple other names, but like, you know, they're all, they've all been working on it. Like Yuko Kitamura worked on Armored Core games. There's, uh, 
um, Kota Hashino, who worked on the Armored Core music, who um, who's done sound design from for some of the Souls games. Um, so there, you know, obviously, like not to like go into credit sheets and compare like which companies don't work like that. There's going to be a lot of like uh, inter intersection and like there's going to be a lot of cross pollination between different members, and and it's more complicated than that. But like, there's definitely. Um, there's a heart to it, as I said, that that kind of remains constant. Like, you know, a lot of people worked on these things for a long time. And like, it's no coincidence that Miyazaki went to work for From Software, right? Like, there's that famous story of him, like, playing Eco and, like, deciding he wants to make video games, like, in the middle of his life, I think, after 35 or so, uh, mm-hmm. having worked at Oracle or whatever, and, like, giving giving that up to want to go make video games. And it's no coincidence that he went and worked for From Software. Like, he's a big fan of tabletop RPGs. He loves the Kingsfield games. Like, that was, like, a big part of him growing up and loving the medium. Uh, like, he has a huge uh, amount of respect for Naoto Shijin, who's, like, one of the founder. He's the founder of From Software, and he had a big, you know, hand in the early Kingsfield games. You know, mm-hmm. he has a lot of respect and admiration for the guy, and that's that's why he joined From Software. Um, yeah. Now, we know the story of Demon Souls, right? Like, uh you know, it was a flagging project. They wanted to compete with some of the more action-y Western titles. Like, that's why the project was founded. Um, and all that dynamism, the action RPG-ness of it, the third-person perspective, were all demands for the project. Um, and Miyazaki deserves a whole lot of credit for, like, taking that, making it what it is, sort of um, stamping his um, his design sensibilities in there, sort of maybe... Uh, borrowing upon the Kingsville sensibilities and then bringing his own thing, um, you know, his uh, his way of like maybe expressing the story in a in a more presentable way. I think compared to the older games, even though Dark Souls is considered obtuse, I think it's not, <laughs> in my opinion. It's... Like there there is this still there's a lot that the game gives you if if you're willing to you know look at it. You know, yeah. so it definitely gives you a lot more than Kingsfield does. That's for sure. <laughs> absolutely yeah. yeah and so yeah he he definitely deserves credit for their success but you know it it becomes very obvious if you play their older games that there's there's more to that yeah right and so like before we get into talking about like special things for kingsfield uh just kind of quickly run through some of the things that if you play it you'll recognize like these are things that from software is still doing to this day Maybe not so much in Sekiro, but definitely all the way through Dark Souls 3. And uh, by the time this episode comes out, Elden Ring will be out. And I assume a lot of it's going to be similar in Elden Ring too. So um, the first thing that I wrote down is that this is like the same kind of... It's not the same style and pace of combat, but it is that like very deliberate combat where enemies have attacks that have specific tells or wind-ups and... You have to learn uh, the enemy attacks. You have to learn their windups. You have to use kind of the same strategies that get you through a Souls game. You know, fight enemies one at a time, use bottlenecks, uh, be smart about like when and how to engage enemies, try to get cheap damage however you can, stuff like that. It's all in Kingsfield 4 as well, that kind of uh, um, strategy in combat. The slower pace of it does take time to get used to it. You know, if you're if, if if you're especially not used to playing some of the older games, and like, it is like you know, 
let's not make any bones about it. It is slow. <laughs> like you, yeah, you'll notice yeah. we'll, it. Like it's, we'll get yeah. into that when we talk about like specific Kingsfield combat, but it is slow. It's slow, slow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't know if you ever played like Super Hexagon, um, no. but it's a very popular uh, phone game um, that, you know, it requires a lot of twitch reflexes. And one of the things uh, that, you know, that's a good key to like getting good at the game is like, you know, there are different levels and like you kind of ramp up to the fastest level, which requires the most reflexes, right? And then you play mm-hmm. a few seconds of that and then you go back to the early level and then you suddenly find yourself finding it much easier, you know, yeah. uh, it's just a throwaway example that I used, but I I really do think that kind of happens in some of these older Kingsfield games is like, um, if you spend enough time with it, um, you do begin to see like the skeleton, you know, uh, of the game, like the matrix, right? Like, uh, all of the enemies, their windups, you know, the blind spots, the weird circling circle strafing that you do the traps that you face and everything, you kind of find out that they're all designed at the to be in sync with the pace that you're playing at. Um, so if you spend like an hour, hour and a half or two hours in the game, you just kind of get used to that pace. Um, and again, mm-hmm. this might not be everyone's experience. You know, if you're absolutely finding it tedious, you know, stop playing the game. You know, it's, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. For sure. Um, but like, but... Um, yeah, I, I do think I do think there's value there, and like I I think there is some design cohesion there, and like when you spend enough time in there, it it kind of clicks. Yeah, it does for sure. Like you, you'll start out the game, and you'll you'll be like, "Holy shit, this is slow!" Like I've played Demon Souls and I've played Dark Souls; those are slow compared to the later games in their uh, catalog. But Kingsfield is slow, slow, and like it takes some time to get used to. But like you said, the enemies are also really slow for the most mm-hmm. part. And so like it, it's not like the game is like unfair because you're slow, like the whole thing is slow. So once you get once you bring yourself down to that speed and realize how you can take advantage of enemies, it it ends up being that same kind of strategy in combat that, you know, you would do in a Souls game. Absolutely. And uh, one other, a couple other things that this has in common with later games in the series um, features a large uh, interconnected world with shortcuts to open um, interconnected in the same way that Dark Souls 1 is interconnected, mm-hmm. not like Demon Souls is not uh, interconnected. Dark Souls 1 is. So mm-hmm. picture how you're going through the undead parish. You take that elevator down. Suddenly you're back in Firelink Shrine. Holy shit. There are moments like that in Kingsfield 4 uh, because this is all just one uh, interconnected world. And it's uh, – it's. I personally had a very hard time uh, with – because there's like a, a central tower, like nexus <laughs> right. area in Kingsfield 4. And that area opens up to all of the other areas. Uh, I had a hard time like mapping that mentally uh, until you get that like – incredible map at the very end of the game um i had a really hard time mapping that out but it is interconnected and you i mean if you're the type of person to draw your own maps and stuff like that uh this could be something cool but just want to point out that it it does have that interconnectedness right um and i agree i I do think uh i truly empathize with anyone just not finding it uh easy to make a mental map you know i i just 
I just it's a personal thing, right? I have trouble with that yeah, in certain yeah. games, uh, where others find it easy. Like even even in Souls games, right? Like some things are easy for others and hard for others. And like, but for me personally, like for my sensibilities and like the way I like to play, I I think I I was just extremely immersed, and I think I had a great time because I so. One interesting thing about the game, um, and I've, I see, I've seen this point made somewhere else, I can't remember now, is like the game has like weird asymmetry sometimes in that like, you know, if you're presented like a design of um, a structure that you're entering mm-hmm. and there's a left and the right side to it, most of the time in the game, you're not going to find like the same thing on the left as you do on the right. Um, there, there's a yeah. conscious There's a conscious effort to like, make a difference in like what's happening when you go to the right versus the left. Um, so that sort of thing helped me a lot. You know, um, I do agree completely that the central tower, um, there, there's a bit of sameness to like the sort of design there. Um, but the spokes that they lead out to, um, I had a much easier time, like knowing that, Hey, if I go to the left, I'm ending up in this dungeon ecosystem. Um, and, and then I, for me, again, it was easy to like remember like which things were locked, so so that when I was entering from the other side of that thing, I I could sense, hey, I'm like reaching a shortcut, you know, or like I can I can something my spidey senses are tingling and it tell it, it's kind of telling me I'm getting back to the central tower. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a lot of places in the game too where like you sc- sort of finish a spoke and you're kind of done with the sort of big set piece or the big thing and you're kind of sensing that okay now is the moment that the game's going to send me back to the central tower because now i have a new thing that i can use to you know go somewhere else so i personally had a had a good time with it but i completely agree with you like when you first enter the central tower or like look at it it can feel a bit samey yeah and the the thing that really saves that too is like the music there's music in all of the levels unlike dark souls so like you'll you'll the music's great you'll spend a lot of time in the levels and you'll get to know that song and then Mm -hmm. you'll like be pushing through a level you'll open a door and suddenly the music for like another level that you've been to before will start playing you're like oh okay i know exactly where i am now uh, just because i remember that song so they're they're, they do a little bit more to help you kind of remember uh, the areas than uh, later games, which famously don't have any music uh, mm-hmm. as you're going through the levels. Another thing that is um, cool about, or another thing that is continued throughout the Souls series are uh, stamina systems. The stamina, I think, is much more important in Kingsfield than it is in uh, Souls. Like, you have to manage, like, capital M, manage your stamina in this game, Mm -hmm. uh, like, actively, as opposed to Souls, where you kind of into it, like, okay, I can get this full weapon combo in before I'm out of stamina, then I need to back off and let it refill. Uh, In Kingsfield, stamina basically governs your effectiveness or ability to do anything, Um, so... Like you, you really have to stay on top of it. So, but that is one thing they continued uh, throughout their their games is this focus on stamina management. Right, and yeah, it's definitely can be more punishing because of the general pace of the game. Like if you run out of stamina um, and you're in the and you attempt to do an action, uh, the game you do kind of uh, stumble or like there's a bit of a I don't I don't remember if there's like a screen shake, but 
you do kind of get stuck in place a little bit. Like if you attempt to do an action when it runs out. And then the other thing is like, uh, you do less damage if your bar is not full, right? You, um, you do significantly, significantly less, damage. less damage. Like you're, right. you're, that, that was part of what was really hard at the beginning of the game for me was like, if your stamina is not absolutely full, your sword will just clank off of enemies and it they will not do the flash red like you injured them thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, uh, like my my first maybe hour of the game, I just didn't figure this out on my own. And that was something that watching a Let's Play was like, oh, okay, yes. I, I get it now just by watching somebody else. But it wasn't very intuitive and like, there's like these, you know, piranha plant looking things in, um, <laughs> uh, in the first level. And I was just like, my sword was just clanking off of them. And I was like, why can't I hurt these things? Like, what is wrong with me right now? Am I starting out like such a piece of shit that I can't even damage anything? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and in hindsight, those plant enemies are kind of perfect to like learn that. I think, you know, how does kind of pace yourself and like take a step back, you know, make, do the attack at the right time and then that kind of opens that third eye and you think oh this is so like souls like that's what i'm kind of doing in souls is like managing my stamina absolutely that that's either that and then going back to what i was saying earlier about how the game kind of tailors itself to the pace that it's going at i do Mm -hmm. find that the enemy complexity also kind of ties into that the systems on systems thing where like you know the tougher enemies or the toughest enemies kind of force you to learn your spacing such that you're sort of managing your stamina bar the best, right? Like, you know, yeah. in the you'll, you'll have knights that like do a poke at you and then do a big slash. Um, those could be the simpler knights. And then you'll later find like skeletons or other knights that do poke poke or like, like a, two pokes at once and then take a step back or whatever. And like you kind of learn how to like go go there behind or like strafe or like manage your stamina based on that pace. And then you also find weapons um, that uh, kind of use the stamina in a weird way. Like, I, I don't know if you ended up finding or using the weapons that do the triple slashes or like some of the magic spells that, you know, do multiple attacks at once. Um, that you no, can kind of, it doesn't yeah, ring a bell, no. You can kind of take advantage of that and like, you know, use a single stamina bar to like pump out more damage, you know, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's definitely like that complexity there, but, but yeah, um, you, it's very, very important to manage. 100%. And uh, like once I figured out like the combat rhythm in Dark Souls or Bloodborne is like full weapon combo, um, back off, let stamina recharge. Once I realized that in Kingsfield, it's literally swing once back <laughs> off let it recharge once i got that down it was fine and i you you adjust you know mm-hmm. it's not so bad real quick uh, uh, as yeah. to an, another thing people might not you know know before they look at a guide if they want to play this game um the way your weapons level up um is by actually using the weapon and right. like doing yeah. doing combat with it um funnily enough like um you can watch speed runs of this um and I remember watching a speedrun of it a really long time back. Actually, one of the most viable st- strategies is to actually use your fists to fight all the plants in the beginning. So oh. if you actually spend like 15 or 20 minutes fighting those plants, 
your fists can be leveled up enough that you could just use those for the rest of the game and you could just do the speed run that way. Oh, that's um, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So, yeah, so that's very important to remember as well. Like, if you want to level up a spell or, or a weapon, you want yeah. to be using that a lot. And then that's how you can farm yeah. enemies as well. And then, like, another quick thing about weapons since, uh, or, like, spells, actually, is that you can get a spell and then the upgraded version or the leveled up version of that spell has more properties um like you'll have an earth heal that that'll heal you uh but the upgraded version of it will also slow down enemies um things like that and yeah you definitely want to upgrade your weapons so they do more damage of course um this is something that people can never find out if they don't look at a guide you'll but you'll figure that out because you'll 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 use a weapon unless you're switching weapons all the time. I, I figured this out just because like I was using a favorite weapon and it was like, oh, your your weapon upgraded to level two. And I was <laughs> like, oh, okay, sweet. I uh, got that. I didn't, I obviously didn't like send it to the blacksmith for upgrades. So that's how that works. Funnily enough in Kingsfield, uh, in my opinion, and I I wonder if it's your opinion too, sending your weapons to the blacksmith to be upgraded is a colossal waste of time uh, because- it uses real <laughs> time, uh, and you will get you will get a bump of like, say your attack power is like 173. You'll send it in. You have to wait five real minutes or ten real minutes without your weapon, and you'll get it back, and it'll be attack 174, and it's nothing compared to uh, leveling <laughs> it up via using it. I thought that was absolutely bizarre. It um, is and bizarre. I, only use the blacksmith to repair weapons that were broken or almost broken. Yeah. I don't know if you watched uh, Iron Pineapple's video on Kingsfield 4 that he did. Like, I think yeah, a few I did. months yeah. back. That blacksmith is totally rip- ripping you off because, like, if you you can rep- uh, level up a whole bunch of weapons and it'll take the same time <laughs> versus, yeah. like, one weapon taking the same time. So that's a viable strategy. Just, like, use up a whole bunch of weapon durability and give all of them at once and go make yourself coffee or whatever. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's ridiculous. You any new weapon you find, it turns out is just going to be better and like you're going to be switching between like so many different kinds of elemental weapons um and like once you hit the mid game stretch, the game just throws so much cool treasure at you that like yeah. You just going every any new cool thing you find is just going to be better. And I really really hope that comes back in Elden Ring. I'm kind of, I've kind of been a little tired of like some of the recent Souls games where you like find something and like there's no point to using it, you know, right. It's the end <laughs> end of the game. So based on, yeah, based on your build and stuff like right. that, for sure. And, uh, yeah, like I said, by the time this episode comes out, Elden Ring will be out and we'll know the answer to that. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, yeah, you're just getting cool treasure. Um, couple other things real quick that kind of connect this to the later games in from from software we have like a proto estus flask system here and i would kind of like this is a mashup of like estus flask like rechargeable uh healing uh and empty bottles in zelda games uh, because you do just pick up these crystal vials and you can fill them at these fountains you can choose to fill them with health or magic potions and then later one that does both um i always filled them up with magic because then i could you can use that vial to heal one time with a health potion or you can use it to refill your magic and then use that earth heal spell to heal you know 16 times Uh, so i always did magic always always plus leveling up that earth heal spell is 
absolutely worth your time. Yes, it's really cool. And yeah, I love the crystal system. Uh, I think, you know, it is the basis for Estes, right? So um, yeah, because those crystals don't go away. These are reusable items. They just they just empty and you have to go fill them up again. That's why we're making the connection to Estes. Yeah, and like all of the sort of visual landmarks uh, and like uh, set pieces where you fill them up are like super cool. I just love going back to them. You know, that's mm-hmm. a sort the one of in the tower is the yeah. one in the tower is so cool. Yeah, the forest one too. Like like that feeling of like going home to Majula to do something that that's really cool. Yeah. Um, I, I love, yeah. I love the save point system. I just, um, you know, the, you know, use the, um, stones, uh, the colored stones and, um, sort of set your bookmarks in different areas. Um, there's a certain element of DIYness to it, all of that, right? Like make your own sort of trade routes to, you know, uh, go farm something if you want, or like set some, something, you know, near a merchant or like, uh, you know, the, the forest area to refill stuff or like, you know, close chests, you know, set a bookmark there so you can go back there whenever you want. Just all of that just comes together so, so well for me near the mid game. Like I just, I just love when like there's that element of DIYness and then the game's just like chugging on rails in the mid game and like that feeling of like just all guns blazing just i'm doing everything i want to do in an rpg is just so cool uh Mm -hmm. that whole all of the systems working that way is just amazing yeah you're definitely kind of customizing uh especially with like how you want to fill up those flasks you're customizing like what you want to prioritize and stuff like that Uh, even though i think there is a clear like best way to do it uh, it's still up to you to do it the way you want um, um there's things. also that uh, there's also that ring of uh clarity i believe which is like a must must wear item yeah. like um <laughs> yeah it's... like with that without it like you would just have no mana at all so <laughs> right uh, the item description in there like made me think that it was going to be like some huge trade-off too like i was very like hesitant to put it on but you're right like if you're planning on using spells at all you have to get and equip this item called like the uh, like the amulet or bracelet of clarity or something like that yeah. um that like you said without it you can cast like two spells and with mm-hmm. it you can cast like 20 spells uh, i i did hear that the the catch with that apparently is that if you don't have it and you use um your spells they can level up faster however oh, okay however how are you going to be farming without the ring if you're just right exactly using two, two, i don't know i don't know how it works but like i just never take that ring off is my yeah. my, my tip 100 <laughs> percent. the entire game leave that ring amulet of clarity whichever whichever one it is and a couple other things that will continue into the souls series we already mentioned uh briefly cryptic storytelling uh npc dialogue that is weird and saying a lot but not saying a lot um and uh you'll find these like tablets around the world that have mm-hmm. kind of like lore snippets on them the story is told very indirectly as uh you know as they continue to do throughout the series and we'll we'll get into kind of like what's going on in the story a little bit later on but do want to make that connection the last yeah. thing i want to mention is uh maybe the most important thing in uh, souls games which is that there are secret uh, walls that will uh, turn into doors. If you, you'll you'll kind of get a sense as you play the game where you'll mm. you'll be like, 
there's probably an, like an, an invisible door in here. I need to go kind of basically hump the wall until I open it. And uh, you'll start out humping every wall, but you will kind of get a sense as you go, like, that wall looks suspicious. I better go check that out. And, you know, you know, a not insignificant portion of them uh, actually do have secret doors with cool treasure inside of them. Yeah, if I don't know if you've played saw gameplay or like seen the earlier Kingsfield games, but like those are an absolute nightmare to find secret walls in because mm-hmm. that sort of seeminess. <laughs> and I think it's just a product of like the those games being so early and like you know so much more low texture, but like low res texture. But like um, it's so much harder to find secret walls in there. And I think in Kingsfield and especially the Shadow Tower game, Shadow Tower Abyss especially, they do such a good job of like making it somewhat or like mostly obvious where secret walls will be. Like, you know, if you have like curved walls or like uh, stone or rock, it's very unlikely. There's like most of the time secret walls will be like, you know, a flat surface, you know. So it will become right. very obvious if you're going through a room and like something looks flat or like... I don't know if it's a product of the emulator, but I've seen emulator gameplay of this game. And like sometimes the secret walls kind of give off a feeling of like textured differently in the emulator. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. true. Maybe I'm making that up. Um, Maybe. And then, and then one more thing is like um, there are maps in this game. They're kind of useless maps through most of the yeah. game. Through 70% of the game, you'll have maps that are useless. But like near the end, you get something called a king's map, I believe. And that one's actually yep. pretty useful because it'll show you secret walls as well. And it'll give you like that 3D representation. But by the time it's too late in the game, it's kind of useful if you just want to do a roundup and find all the secret walls or something. So There's another item too that I think it's like a ring or something like that that will highlight invisible oh, yeah. walls as yeah, green. Yeah. Uh, so you, but like that's, that's like in the last third of the game. So like the first, you know, two thirds, I, I would say you're, you're going around uh, pressing a or pressing X or whatever on every single wall you come across. So it's like Dark Souls too. <laughs> right. Okay. So uh, we're going to take a little music break. When we come back, we're going to stop talking about connections to later games. And we're going to talk about what it's like to actually play Kingsfield four. Okay, we're back and we're going to talk about the gameplay in Kingsfield 4. And the first thing I want to talk about is uh, as any modern gamer going back to Kingsfield 4 will probably notice right away is that the controls uh, in this game were a real rough adjustment for me at the beginning. So like I'm going to talk about the default control scheme here. There is a remapping option I'm sure your emulators will let you remap too, but like the game actually has one, but I could not get it to work. It was one of those things where it's like you have to assign a new input to an action, but Mm -hmm. the inputs are all taken. So like it wouldn't accept me changing an input because they're all full already. And, you know, anyway, I tried for a few minutes. I couldn't figure it out. I gave up and I got used to the original controls, but like, 
so let me just explain this for people listening. Uh, you have tank controls on the left stick. Uh, basically, you move front, back, or uh, you push it to the side to turn. The right stick is used to look up or down, uh, but it's inverted and I couldn't change it. So I the I was playing on a Nintendo Switch Pro controller plugged in uh, to my computer. And the left and right triggers are also used to look up and down. So that's what I used. Um, So tank controls on the left stick using the triggers to look up and down took a long time. But like after maybe five hours, I was very, very comfortable with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying I want to play every game this way. Absolutely the fuck not. But I did get used to it. Um, And then just other weird controls, dude, like X opens the menu uh, mm. Square uses magic. Triangle attacks. Uh, circle is sprint, and the L one and R one buttons are used for strafing left right. and right. Yeah, and, you, and, you. I would be <laughs> very surprised if you're playing this if you're not like a souls enthusiast. Like, oh, oh man. And actually, I'm surprised uh, your emulator um, didn't get your remap successfully. Up. Um, I've got like. Um, some friends in other communities that like much like deeply deeply into these older games and uh mm-hmm. they um uh, they actually do a lot of good like technical help with that stuff so uh maybe maybe after this maybe i'll it, go ask them or maybe we can put a tip or something for people that want to do it and uh or failing at it but but as i said i played it um on a used ps2 i played it on the original right. ps2 controls and yeah it, it definitely took me time as well it didn't take me five hours um it took me maybe an hour or two. I think by the time I finished the early like poison mine section, like I think I was good, you know. Uh, but absolutely, it's bonkers. Like it's it is. I absolutely don't begrudge you hating the control scheme at first. It, it's it's just like it's just very weird. Like control schemes these days are extremely homogenous uh, to the point where like the biggest difference is like do you use the triggers to attack or do you use you know circle and uh triangle on the playstation controller or 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 like square and x or something like that but like using the shoulder buttons to strafe and using the triggers to look up and down was like just extremely uh odd at the beginning and i don't think it was like my emulator wouldn't let me it's like the game settings have control remapping but i couldn't get that to work and i'm already running my emulator through steam so i can have the controller support like natively without i'm not a super tech uh mm-hmm. person like i don't like fiddling in menus it stresses me out so like um i was running it through steam to get native controller support so i wouldn't have to fuck with anything in the menus i'm sure that the emulator would have helped but i was already just like just let me get into the game and start <laughs> playing you know and like i said i got used to it i beat the game mm-hmm it's it's not like this is a fatal thing but it is weird and anyone who's gonna go in and play it you got to know just how odd these controls are um yeah this game's extremely slow as we mentioned before like slow slow like when you swing your weapon and i'm i'm not exaggerating here it takes a couple seconds for your weapon to fully swing it's like you're using like an ultra great sword all the time <laughs> mm-hmm. but enemy weapons are also super slow so you just got to get in this pace it's not like you're slow just to fuck you over as the player you know yes that's absolutely true but i i do think that 
there's a variety as well, right? Like um, there is, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah, you you, you sure. fight fight for example like skeletons or you know who'll do the classic skeleton juking. You know they'll move to the right like real fast or like uh, pull out a real quick attack, but when you're least expecting it. And as I said, like much later in the game, as you're progressing, like the difficulty comes in like them designing a variety of enemies. Like there are knights that are doing multi attacks at once, or like um, you know uh, weird snake those, enemies those that, ice are dudes that are doing kung yeah. fu moves. And oh stuff yeah, they're like just that. doing tetsumaki. <laughs> <laughs> like they're just doing hurricane kicks everywhere. Um, that's super cool. But like, I agree, it's slow. It's definitely slow. The thing that is the slowest, I think, and took like the. I don't think I ever quite got used to this to turn your character around like a 180 turn uh, takes five seconds to turn around. I actually counted this. I counted 10 seconds for a full 360 degree turn, uh, which if something is attacking you from behind, it takes, you know, five seconds, five whole ass seconds to turn around and see what's hitting you from behind, uh, which is weird. But uh, how you get around that is you you will figure out how to use this weird tank control and shoulder button strafe control scheme to circle strafe like you would in, um, you know, later all these later games that have like targeting systems that automatically circle strafe you. You'll figure out how to do it in this game. I promise it. It's weird as fuck at first, but you will figure it out. Yeah, and it wouldn't be from software. They didn't take advantage of the fact that you have a blind spot when you're doing those turns and stuff like that. Like there are mm-hmm. some devious traps and like, again, enemy patterns that like absolutely take advantage of the fact because they know that you're going to be strafing or like doing a certain thing with this enemy. So like, you know, they'll design group enemy combat or like a trap that, you know, you, you won't expect, you know, again, like all of that again is a fun learning curve for me, but like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. 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 It can be weird. It definitely can. This is weird, actually, because um, people who listen to the show and people who know me as a uh, a gamer know that I don't really like um, I don't really like older games that much. And a lot of older games start you out with this lack of direction, lack of instruction, and stuff like that. And I, I don't have a problem with that in particular. Uh, but I think a lot of older games build difficulty in really like bullshit ways. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's the case in this game a lot. And so when, like you've like you've mentioned, when I was dropped in at the beginning, and you have this big adjustment period trying to figure out all of this stuff, um, it was honestly like a pretty tough, but like there was something pulling me back. Like there's this really magical thing at the beginning of this game when I'm presented with all of this weird stuff that like should put me off. Um, just judging on like my other tendencies, the way, the way that I play and enjoy games, there's just something really special about this game though. In the first few hours, when you're dropped in, you have this weird as fuck music. You have these weird controls. You have these weird NPCs that are kind of like, half telling you what you're supposed to do, but not really. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, the first level. Uh, I really equate to the first time I played Dark Souls and like trying to get through the Undead Berg for the first time. It was a really comparable, like similarly magical experience for me. Right, absolutely. And like there's that 
claustrophobic immersion. Um, it's just, it can, like, I remember, like, when I finished playing this game, um, I was almost wondering, like, if I played it. I mean, I loved it so much, but I, like, I haven't played it since again. Like, you know, I, I currently kind of live this game a lot. Like, you know, I, I watch a lot of LPs and, like, talk about it a lot with, like, people mm-hmm. and, like, uh, listen to the music, like, pretty, almost all the time and everything. Um, but there is, like, that sort of oppressive claustrophobia that, that is, like, really you have to... It, it is, like, the video game taking you to another space feeling, right? Like, you're... Something about the design, like, puts you in that world in a weird way. Um, and, like, yeah, I totally agree. Like, the curve can feel like under Berg or 1-1. One, one. Um, I, in hindsight, um, I do think this game shares a lot of sensibilities with Dark Souls 2. Um, and I do think, like, some of those, the designs of Dark Souls 2, like, uh, especially, like, the more claustrophobic um, enclosed spaces in Dark Souls 2, which a lot of people had problems with, like, uh, with their textures and stuff like that. I think that's that's the sort of older sensibilities of FromSoft shining through in that game. Uh, it mm-hmm. doesn't work for everyone, but I think Dark Souls 2 shares a, a lot with these older games. And I don't think it's a coincidence that you know, Miyazaki and his team left to work on Bloodborne, leaving, right. uh, you know, other members working on Dark Souls 2. And as I said, it's never that clean. There's always going to be cross-pollination between teams and stuff like that. But I, I do think it's not a coincidence that, to me, like, the Dark Souls 2 shares a lot, you know, in, in terms of, like, the claustrophobic textures and things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And let it be on the record that I love Dark Souls 2. Yeah, uh, people who I, I don't really understand people who say like oh, I love Demon Souls, Dark Souls, and Dark Souls Three, and I hate Dark Souls Two. I don't get it. I oh, love Dark wrong. Souls Two. <laughs> I love all my children equally, but especially Dark Souls Two. Back to Kingsfield. Uh, we actually have already talked about a lot of the combat, how it's very deliberate. Uh, your weapon swings take a long time. You need to manage your stamina, like in a very deliberate way. Like again really manage your stamina um you can uh while you're getting into the combat you will eventually figure out this rhythm and it's this it's this very special thing in kingsfield for uh, maybe the other kingsfield games maybe you can comment it has this combat rhythm for most enemies where uh if your weapon is strong enough you're doing enough damage which you should be most of the time you will kind of stun an enemy out of an attack so you can usually get that first hit in you know jump in swing your sword before you get up close to the enemy because it takes a a second or two to actually swing through and connect so you'll hit the enemy they'll be stunned out of their attack then you back off you kind of it's like this dance you're going forward and backing off trying to bait the enemy's next attack out of them once you see that attack animation start you back up uh, because you can't really block in this game uh you can't you know there's no dodge roll or anything like that so you like you get shields you can equip shields but they just add to your armor rating it's not like holding up a shield and blocking it so you always have to bait out those attacks and then once you see that animation you jump back you let the animation play out then you run in you get your next swing and it's this uh yeah, it, it's best described as like a, you know, fencers 
going, you know, at each other one step, one step back off like that, trying to get the other person to commit to what they're doing. It's what you're doing with most of the enemies in this game. And it, it sets up this really unique combat rhythm uh, in this. Yeah. And there are multiple teaching enemies for that stuff too. Like I'm thinking mm-hmm. of those skeletons, for example, in that graveyard. And those are sort of like the first enemies that'll immediately teach you that you can't spam attacks. You can't stay in one place because uh, they are juking all over the place. There are multiple of them at once. And I, I remember totally, like, it was those skeletons that I think that's where I really got into the groove, you know, of the game, for sure. Yeah. And those, um, there's another enemy near the beginning of the game. There's these giant pill bugs that right. <laughs> are, they're teaching you to get behind enemies and hit weak mm. points. Because you can't, you shouldn't attack their face because they can... Uh, they can hurt you pretty badly, but if you circle around behind them, uh, you can't. They can't really hurt you at all. So it's kind of teaching you that circle strafing and trying to get behind enemies as much as you can, which will come in handy much much later. So I, I do think they do a pretty good job of teaching you the optimal fighting strategy in the game. Some of the stuff is up to you to figure out, like the fact that if your stamina is not 100% full, you're going to do either no damage or just like shit for damage. Um, yeah, we talked about, yeah, we talked about healing. We talked about magic. There are those healing flasks, but you also get, uh, these like healing herbs, just like demon souls, these consumable, um, things. They're not very expensive. And during the like first half of the game, I would say before I could, heal using magic predominantly i would spend most of my money just stocking up on these healing herbs and uh, that got me through a lot of stuff yeah with magic for like you know there's really cool variety in magic spells as well and i said like when you level them up they give you all these like cool extra side effects did you uh have any specific magic you lean towards like i know you said earth heal heal is really cool obviously but i used earth heal like yeah Basically, the entire game, Earth Heal was my most common spell, which I assume it would be the same for most people playing. It's like, I'm not sure how you like reliably heal a ton without using that. Um, my favorite offensive spell was the kind of like lightning, I forget what it's called, but it's like a lightning sphere. You can shoot it and it will like pass through enemies. So if oh, you have a room. lightning, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you have like a hall a hallway full of skeletons, you can shoot it and it will pass through and damage like anything in the path uh, for a while. And I leveled right. that like all the way up to the top level because I used it so much. Yeah, and I remember using the fire version of that, the firewall, which uh, mm-hmm. just does like the big sort of like chaos firestorm kind of thing in Dark Souls, like uh, just puts yeah. out a big firewall. Uh, and yeah, the higher levels, it just kind of lingers flame for a while so it's like really cool for bosses and everything and then like the classic kingsfield spell is uh wind uh with the wind cutter which is a mainstay in i think all the kingsfield and in generally a very high utility spell for like you know basic combat you know Uh, just a single wind blade and it's generally useful for most of the enemies in the game and uh Hmm. it's also good for groups because like it'll pass through targets and uh yeah yeah so this is this is part of me as a gamer. Like once I find a spell that I like, mm-hmm. uh, I I really don't um really don't experiment with everything that I pick up because uh, so I found that like electricity sphere or like light sphere or whatever it's called um, 
spell that I really, really liked, and I just used that the entire game because it was really effective. And uh, by the higher levels, it was real strong. Yeah, by the higher in the levels. game in this game, that's what you want to do, right? Like because that's how you level up spells is by using them. Right. So it's it's yeah, your you, build. You don't want to get it's, to the end of the build. game with yeah. like fifteen spells that you love, but they're all at level one. You, yeah. it's better to have two that you really like that are fully leveled up. Yeah. So, uh, finishing out combat, it's a uh, wouldn't be an episode of tales from the backlog about an action game without talking about the bosses. And if I have one like big criticism for Kingsfield four, it's that I think the bosses are at best. They're fine. Um, I think a lot of them are really bad and it's just, I think the combat system is so like it, the combat system really sings when you're fighting like just dudes in a hallway, you know? Mm -hmm. And then when you come up against a boss, that a lot of the bosses are like much, much faster than regular enemies or uh, their attacks just hit really, really hard, Um, especially in the first half of the game. I can't really think of a boss that I enjoyed fighting, uh, except for the last boss, which we'll talk about in the spoiler section. Um, What I ended up doing was just tanking a lot. And, you know, they hit me, I heal immediately. Uh, They hit me, I use one of my healing herbs immediately. Um, a couple of bosses are set up in a way where you can like open the door to their boss room, but you can leave. It's, you're not locked in the boss arena like you are in dark souls. So like I would like shoot an arrow at a boss, um, and then back out, they're going to shoot a spell through the doorway and then I'll go back in the doorway, shoot another arrow. And like, you know, I'm not fighting him straight up. I don't feel bad about that. some of these bosses are really hard and I I wasn't particularly having fun uh, because they kill you. Some of them can just kill you in one hit or two hits. And uh, yeah, so I I don't feel bad for cheesing some of them. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely do it. And let's not, let's not put it in (laughs) small words. I mean, it's, they're not just like hard. Most of the bosses are bad in this game. (laughs) Honestly, they're just bad bosses. And like, here's another like hot take, I think for me, uh-huh. You know, as, this is especially true of older games too, but I think it applies to a lot of newer games. It applies to some of the Souls games too, I think. Video games, man, like they really shoot themselves in the foot with like requiring bosses or like making bosses be like, uh, you know, uh, sh- sort of showstoppers or like bottle stops. You know, like why? Like, uh, you know, how many games can you think of where someone would say this, you know, man, this game is good, but like the bosses are like, yeah, you know, some of the bosses could be you know better or whatever. Like, why have bosses? You know, like you know, I especially think about this game and like this game would have been perfectly fine without With having no bosses. bosses. Yeah, yep. or like having those optional like cool encounters, but like letting you go around them or like uh, you know having like interesting ways to take them out or whatever. Like, you know, this game could have used a lot of gimmick bosses. I think honestly, <laughs> and like you yeah, know, people bemoan that stuff in like modern games, but like um, I don't know, like. You know, video games, like, stop stop worrying about bosses. I think, you know, you can do a lot a lot of cool things, but if you let go of this notion that you have to have these, like, big set-piece, like, lesson or hard encounters. And, you know, as you said, like, there are a couple of good ones. Like, you know, as I said, that, you know, there are somewhat, you know, good ones. I think there's a proto-Artorius, uh, which is, I personally like. There's, there's one, like, near the end of the game I'm, I'm going to talk about. That's like, I think designed a cool way that takes advantage of the systems well, but like 
most of the time, just use your crossbow or your spells and just spam that shit and move on, you know? <laughs> yeah. Keep your distance, use your yeah. crossbow, shoot spells. Yeah. Um, whenever you get hit, like the game pauses when you go into the menu. So it's it's one of those things where when you get hit, you can just pause, pop one of those healing herbs, kind of back off and make sure. Because I think they heal, the healing herbs heal over time. It's a short time, but I think they heal over time. So you you know, eat one of those healing herbs, back off for a second, let it heal, um, or use your magic spell that heals you instantly. And, uh, it just becomes like a, it's not really a test of skill anymore. It's just a test of like, do I have enough magic or do I have enough, uh, crossbow bolts and stuff like that to make it through? Yeah, I agree. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a survival horror, like, uh, design sensibility. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, it's doing an inventory check on you. Like, you know, do you have, do you have enough things that you can use to take this thing down? You know, yeah, uh, we're gonna tax some of your equipment or some of the things on you before you move on. The things like that, you know. Yeah, it, this is something that I, I I've brought up on the show several times, and like most often, it's because I want to talk about a game that has bosses that are good, uh, mm-hmm. because that's not the standard. I think right. that the average game has average or bad boss fights. So like when we do have a game on the show that has great boss fights, I always make a point to point out like, Hey, these are awesome. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, I, I recently recorded an episode about blasphemous, which I think has great boss fights. Um, Yes. But Kingsfield were, you know, this is, these are, I don't, I can't really compare it to games of the era. Cause I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't have a PS2. This era in time, I was mostly playing Madden or um, Morrowind, which uh, also doesn't have great boss fights, but that's because Morrowind doesn't have great combat, combat in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Kingsfield bosses, Kingsfield 4 at least, uh, mostly bad. Some of them are fine. Some of them are cool spectacles, but yes. like I, I can't really think of one where I was like, that was cool. You know, Mm -hmm. or like that was fun to fight. It was mostly like, that's a cool design, but that was a horrible, you know, cheese fest for me to just try and get through it so I can get to exploring the levels, which I think is like, well, similar to like Souls and Bloodborne and stuff. Like my joy in those games is not really fighting the bosses, even though they're much better in the later games. Exploring the levels is the joy uh, for me. And it was absolutely no different in Kingsfield four. I loved exploring these levels. Loved it. Yeah. And I, I, some people say like, you know, some of the souls games have like the best gallery of bosses and things like that. But like, it's also true for all of the souls games that the average souls boss is a tax, you know, it's a time tax most of the time, right? Like there are standouts, obviously some great ones, but like most of the time it's like, man, it's just a thing that, it's got to be in the game, so I'm going to get past it, you know. Uh, so, you know, I do like it best when they, like, are integrated into the story. They're, like, giving you a big moment in the game or, like, telling you something cool by, with that experience, you know. They, some of the modern games do that well, but, like, man, like, if a boss feels like an obligation to me, like, you know, they put it there because, like, they wanted to pad out the length, I think that's when it's kind of bad, <laughs> Uh, mm-hmm. regardless of like how hard I find it or whatever, like, you know, the harder easiness doesn't mean much to me more. Like it's like, well, am I doing something cool with this? Like I'm just shooting arrows. Like, yeah. Or is know. it, is it testing something that you've learned like throughout that level, you know, 
we yeah. we did an episode recently on the show about Death's Door, uh, which I think has really good boss fights because they're mostly testing stuff that you learned in that particular level. And uh, they're just executed really, really well. And there's only like, you know, six bosses in that whole game. There's a lot more in Kingsfield. And they're not really testing anything except like, do I have 75 health herbs? And do I have a full, you know, uh, stock of crossbow bolts? And did I figure out a way to stay far away from this boss so I can keep shooting, you know? Okay. Not great. <laughs> yeah. So. Agreed. Yeah. But like I said, the joy for Kingsfield 4 is in exploration, which is like, it's by far where you're going to spend most of your time is exploring levels. And we kind of talked about it before, but like the reason that exploration is good is because, uh, like you said, uh, Mystic, the the levels are a bit asymmetrical. Like, it's not like, you know, door on the left, door on the right, they both have a turn, that then they turn, you know, north, and then they meet back at the other side. That happens sometimes, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, you always feel like you're poking into darkness. You don't know exactly what's ahead of you. The uh, invisible doors are always cool to find, but what makes exploration good in a game like this, as opposed to like breath of the wild where exploration, the joy is in like exploring and moving and stuff like that. In this game, you find great treasure everywhere. Yes. Yes. yes and, yes. uh, not just weapons and armor, uh, consumables are really, really useful in this game. So like anytime I found one of those mushrooms that refills your magic, I was like, fuck yes, I needed some mushrooms. This is awesome. <laughs> like, it's just it's great they really handle your rewards for exploring really well yeah and i do want to call out the um the pause screen honestly like so finding cool armor right like in modern souls games it's like you know you have fashion souls right like you you find something and you're like you're excited because it looks good or like it has a cool piece of lore on it or whatever and you know there are there is some you know very brief descriptions on things here and like there's a journal and stuff like that but like I don't want to call it the pause screen, but because I do kind of like how that weird disembodied figure, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like yeah. it's like playing dollhouse or whatever, like dressing up that weird disembodied figure and like these like cool like trinkets and artifacts that you find. I kind of like it. I found it very charming, and like anytime I found like a new chess piece or like you know something cool, like. Uh, you know, it just like, it felt so cohesive, like, you know, like, this place seems important. So it had something important, you know, and like, uh, as you said, like finding a secret wall always feels good. Um, making a leap of faith or like doing something daring and cool always leads to something cool. Um, taking a weird turn, um, just questioning, you know, like, hey, what could, what could there be or, you know, around that corner or like over that edge. And there's always something, I mean, most of the times there's something cool, you know, you'll, yeah. Um, yeah. So as you said, the consumables are obviously very helpful and uh, cool to find, but like even things like armor and weapons, like, you know, more than like just more than just the utilitarian aspect of like, you know, increasing your damage or your levels or whatever. Uh, it was nice to like, look at these like sort of, sort of retro designed armor or like mm-hmm. you know like i remember the the coolest armor that you find like i think the muse armor like you can find like different pieces of it around the end 
it, my disembodied guy in the pause screen looked super cool by the end. And by the time I found everything and equipped everything, it's like, man, this is kind of like proto fashion souls. It, it, yeah. it felt good. It, it felt good it, to me. It definitely is. Yeah, for sure. Uh, another thing you can find when you're exploring is uh, you, you're the merchants in this game were mostly hidden. Like mm-hmm. all the NPCs and merchants. Yeah. You're, you're, you're never really, there's a, this happens sometimes but like so at the very beginning of the game you go into the first area the city ruins and there's an actual shop that has a sign and it says like you know i actually think the guy's name is dave david bunch Um, yeah which which was weird for me you don't know this (laughs) (laughs) oh that's right (laughs) i don't know if you knew the story by the way but like uh ASCIIware, which is age age tech i think later on uh Uh when they when they released the um I guess the Western version of this game, uh, there was a very popular Kingsfield fan website on the internet for a, for a long time. Um, I'm blanking on the name right now. I don't think it's sort of moonlight, which is the actual like modding engine website for Kingsfield, but like, um, there was another, uh, Kingsfield fan website. And before this game came out, they were, there was a lot of chatter on there. And, uh, so a lot of the NPC names are actually real people that were on that website. Yeah. So there's a David Bunch, there's, there's a uh, Chad. There's the Chad yeah. I was gonna dog, say you, you're, you're going through this like mystical fantasy yeah. kingdom full of skeletons and yeah. you know goblins and stuff like that, and then you meet a dude named Chad, and right. you're like, <laughs> it's, okay, interesting. It, it uh, is funny. <laughs> it, it's kind of like the funny thing is like they're designed or like they speak and they present themselves as souls NPCs. They look forlorn. They 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 mm-hmm. speak in tongue. They speak in riddles and like they. Uh, you know, are just morose or like weird looking, but then they'll just have names like Dave and Chad. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's really cool. <laughs> so the point I was getting at there is that like at the beginning of the game, there's a merchant who has an actual shop. And then you, as, as far as I remember, you, you'll never find another shop ever again. There's the blacksmith you'll find who has like a blacksmith forge, but Every all the other merchants are just like dudes in rooms and you're like <laughs> discovering, you know, you're exploring, you open up this random ass room and there's just like a dude in there and he's like, oh, I sell crossbow bolts and uh, I'm stuck in this room mm-hmm. and this is my life now and I'm here. So like it, it's kind of it's it's actually kind of inconvenient because like there were plenty of times where I was like, I'm out of crossbow bolts or like I know a boss is coming up. I need to load up. I got to figure out which random room that dude was in mm. in order to, you know, refill. So that, you know, that was kind of inconvenient, but I do think it's funny that like your, uh, it's actually similar to souls where you'll, you'll just find a merchant like at the bottom of some random ass staircase um, yeah. or like, you know, in a pot somewhere or something like that. And I don't know how much of it it's true for all the NPCs, but like I did hear that uh, some of them were asked, their greatest fears and things like that. And like, you know, on the forums on that website and like someone uh-huh. would say like, I hate spiders or whatever. And so they put that guy, I think the Chad guy and he had the spiders in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. So there's the, like a, the, the archery dude is in a room full of explosive barrels and he's like, yeah. he's, he says something like, Oh, I can't move. I'm worried. I'll make these things will explode or something like that. So yeah, <laughs> it's funny. So, Anyway, that's a it's an interesting reward for exploring and we've talked about like basically you're always going to be rewarded for exploring. You're either going to find a path to a new level or a shortcut 
or you're going to find some cool treasure or something like that. Um, or you're going to find like a room full of skeletons and who doesn't love a room full of skeletons? I so, love them. And there are some yeah. awesome skeletons in this game. There, there skeletons, are skeletons, skeleton set pieces. Uh, yeah. Just oh, man. So good. So good. I took, uh, I took some screenshots while I was playing, like whenever I could, you know, remember to like get into screenshot mode, like while I'm trying to, right. you know, survive 75 skeletons attacking at the same time. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff like that. So we're going to uh, take a little music break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the soundtrack, uh, which we've kind of talked about a little bit before, and uh, visuals and story setup in Kingsfield 4. So as you've been hearing through the episode, you've been hearing some of this very unique Kingsfield 4 music. And like uh, Mystic, you mentioned this earlier in the recording, but like you listened to this outside of the game even before you actually played this game. And I have also listened to this outside of the game, like when I was doing stuff at work, I would just like throw this soundtrack on. Mm -hmm. It's weird. It's this like very foreign, but also somehow like familiar medieval style soundtrack. Like it has these very unnatural sounding instruments that sound familiar all at the same time. And there's like harpsichords and shit and like just stuff that you don't normally hear in definitely not in modern game soundtracks uh, for sure. But I think it's really cool. I love it. Yeah, me too. And you know, I, it, it's again, I don't know how much of it sounds like hyperbole to the listeners or whatever, but like, I've, this is a opinion I've held for a long time. You know, when I, I used to listen dude, to it, do it. <laughs> I, I used to listen to it a lot, right? Like even before playing the game, I think it might be my favorite video game soundtrack of all time. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I have a few contenders in there, like Kolatani's score for Shadow of the Colossus, like a big, big standout for me. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of big, you know, I can throw out like a bunch of retro soundtracks that I listen, you know. From time to time, they're not like, you know, again, just like you, I didn't grow up playing a lot of older video games or anything. It's just I'm revisiting them. But um, something about it, this one, though, it's it feels very primal to me. It, it feels like it's speaking to me as something that I didn't even know that, like, my brain and my sensibilities are geared towards it. It's like it could be a cross-pollination of so much, you know, mixing together in a weird way like i love like weird 60s psychrock stuff um you know i love you know when music gets weird right like you know i grew up in india i was born there and uh you know i I do like that sort of eastern palette uh off like um you know the music uh you know indian music classical stuff uh, coming from there but Mm -hmm. yeah like something about it just like the 
game design sensibilities of from software like the east meets west kind of thing like i do find that in the soundtrack as well obviously as you said like there's the dungeon core like dungeon synth aspects of it uh but also like out of nowhere you'll get like a really funky beat like i'm thinking of the one where you first enter the uh the first shop for example uh near the outside ruins where it goes um there's like the, it has a super funky beat there i just super, i love it so much there's just so much experimentation with synthesizers uh, a lot of like acid jazz stuff and like uh some of it you know the most famous track from this i think dark reality dark reality and like a couple other ones like they sound like early radiohead tracks i think a lot of people might have pointed <laughs> that out if you go to the youtube videos for those tracks you'll see people saying hey this sounds like radiohead or whatever um mm-hmm. so it has that like sort of garage rock sensibilities as well like just like a dude noodling, you know, and like coming up with like <laughs> super catchy tunes. I don't know. Something about that vibe is like, it's just so warm. It just feels, uh, it, I don't know. Like if I'm like putting it on like during work, like that's the kind of thing I want, you know, like I want that background thing that you can also hum to, but then you can also space out to, you can put it at the back of your head, but then also jump back when some real cool thing comes up in between, like, yeah, I have like a lot of standouts from this album. Like I love, I love the soundtrack and I'm actually finding that it's getting a lot of critical reevaluation as well. Like, you know, it's been picked up by a bunch of media outlets. Like people talk about it a lot and you, you, you'll find tons of souls YouTubers putting out videos that just add Kingsfield 4 soundtrack in the background. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, uh, just, it's not very uncommon these days. So I think it's getting that reevaluation yeah if you go to youtube comments for this you'll find a lot of people being like hey i came here from so-and-so souls youtuber that played it in one of their videos or whatever and so it's clearly hitting a chord with a lot of people uh so all props to uh you know the the sound designer sukasa saido uh he also made uh he was the lead uh music guy for this and he had a hand in some of the cooler like newer from software tracks uh german uh a few other tracks as well that i'm thinking of but yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's a really cool soundtrack, and there's a there's a really big like oh just difference in like uh, the way that it's setting up tone and like atmosphere in different levels. Like I'm thinking of there's one soundtrack where you, I think it's like you know a cave, maybe the mines or something mm-hmm. like that, where you are um, like the sound it's 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 hardly even music it, it sounds like things like yelling in the distance it's this really high pitched like droning kind of thing um i can't remember exactly what level that's in but like yeah. you contrast something that's like extremely atmospheric like that with um the you know the main city uh the the tower soundtrack or like mm-hmm. the city ruins soundtrack and mm-hmm. stuff like that which are more you know hummable like you said mm-hmm. more catchy things um yeah i i, yeah, I really like so it so much so much atmosphere to areas and as you said earlier yeah. like knowing you're entering an area and associating it out that music is exactly yeah. also good yeah Be- because everything does connect back to that central tower basically everything does you'll constantly be opening up these doors and you'll you'll hear that song come back and you're like okay i'm back at the tower cool <laughs> yeah and uh, as far as visuals go, this um, this is hard for me to like talk about objectively because, like I said, I didn't have a PS2. I had an N64 uh, during this time, and then you know GameCube and stuff like that. 
but I don't play a lot of older games, and the ones that I do play are normally pixel art games. Um, I don't normally go back to older, uh, you know, 3D games like this. Uh, that being said, as a PS2 game, I think the visuals are pretty, well, you know, as the console would demand, they're pretty minimalistic, low texture, uh, even compared to, like, the next game, uh, Demon's mm-hmm. Souls, which like, was on PS3, of course. Um so I had more power working for it, but I actually really like the visual look of this game. Um, I like how each area is, you spend a lot of time indoors in this game, but all of those areas are pretty visually distinct in some way. Like I, I, t- I talked about getting lost and like not having a great sense of direction, but it wasn't because I was like, am I in the for am I in the earth folk area or am I in the tower or am I in the you know, um, am I in like the, you know, the, the place where all the spiders are? Mm-hmm. Um, I was never like confused about where I was. It was always how to get back. And so I, I think like, even with a, a really limited, you know, the power of the PS2, they did make these areas visually distinct. I do think the, the fact that this is like an ancient kingdom that you're going into, it's, it's decrepit. Um, there's not a lot of signs of like, life now mm-hmm. you know right. you are going into this place that's been cursed and abandoned basically for a long time so like that kind of barren uh level of detail actually works in a good way it makes it feel old and ancient uh, in a cool way absolutely and i will i will definitely you know point out some highlights you know in the spoiler section for me like i think some yeah. things that made like a big you know had a big effect on me <laughs> when i first looked at them or whatever but like yeah the dungeon ecology of this game is so good it's just um you know i, I again i did agree with you back then like the feeling that the the central tower in the vicinity like you know the sort of like near the absolutely near the center of it and like when it's branching out it can feel samey there because it's kind of going for that same tower feeling, but like right. near the end of the spokes, like, you know, when you get to the earth folk area or like when you get to the refinery or when you get to, uh, you know, near, near the end game zones or like the, you know, the snake area or whatever, um, they all have like very unique looks. I think I definitely, yeah. you know, again, I'll, I'll bring up my favorite ones in the spider spider section, but like, yeah, it's so good. And like, uh, it does such a good job of like associating like a creature design with the kind of area it's in, in a weird way. Like not that mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're looking at walking skeletons or like large bugs every day in our lives, but like I can kind of sense <laughs> that a skeleton would be in like the kind of area it's in, you know, uh, or like, yeah. uh, you know, a weird, a night design like would be in the area that's in, or like those forest creatures would be the area that they're in. Um, they do a great job of like, there, there's you can tell like a lot of work went behind like the creature designs and like the area designs even with the limited palette that they had and as i as i brought it up before i do think it dark souls 2 you know kind of shares like some of that some of that older retro design and like that's why it kind maybe felt like to a lot of people that it looked kind of older or like yeah less refined i guess than dark souls 1 or whatever but like i i disagree i think there's there's uh there is a cohesion there. There is something to like the sort of limited palette claustrophobia that they're going for. And as you said, the the feeling of evoking visiting the ruins of an ancient city 
you know, mm-hmm. these are all hypothetical situations, right? Like these are all like the, <laughs> yeah. the language of the fantasy genre speaking to us. And like, it's about putting your head in a space where you're immersed. Uh, the best video games do that. And I think that this one does that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, we've made it this far in the podcast without me really using that word uh, immersion, but like I was fully, fully immersed in like playing this game and all these things work together. The, the gameplay, the exploration, the, um, the music and the, the way that these are levels are designed visually all works together to give me this like same magical level of immersion that, uh, you know, I'm very outspoken about how much I love Dark Souls and Bloodborne and the immersion that I get in those games. I got the same thing from this game and all those things work together uh, to give you that. We are going to take a little music break. You can hear some more of this very uh, varied Kingsfield music. When we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts in summary before spoiler time. Okay, so we are, before we get into spoilers, actually, we need to talk about the story. And the story setup in Kingsfield 4 is kind of similar to Dark Souls. Uh, You get an opening cutscene and then not much else as far as direct storytelling, uh, except for some NPC dialogue. And we mentioned there's like tablets around the world with uh, your stuff. So uh, Mystic, you want to give the kind of kind of story setting set up for the game yeah sure um obviously because i love the game so much i i have i spent some time getting into you know i i did I, th- over the last few years i've been like looking at different people's interpretations of it or like i've watched tons of lps um um i have a couple of recommendations actually there's a uh a friend of mine in a different community and a youtuber casative or theomeny so uh, she does like a lot of exploration of like these older from software games, um, especially she calls them like the Age of Ancients playlists or whatever. Um, way better than me. Like those people on YouTube, like they they do much better job than me of like trying to capture like the themes or like what they're going for or whatever. And there's a lot to read into if you if you want to do it. You know, some of it could be uh, a stretch, but there's like there's generally like a a running through line through these older games to like, you know, the modern games, things like that. Um, cool. Well, I'll throw, I'll throw those, um, I'll throw those links down in the episode description so that people can check those out. If they're interested on, if they're interested in getting more into the story, than we're going to go into on this episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So to get into the story of this, like, honestly, like, as you said, like there's vague NPC dialogue, there's weird tablets, there's a journal in the game. And I think this game could be much better at like uh, its proper nouns, um, and I, I get I get what you're talking about earlier, right? Like you you read a tablet which says like Earth folk or like Dark folk and whatever, and it's like there's a very vague description of what what what's right, happening yeah. there, right? Like um, there is a bit of element of like Herod is like speaking, you know, about you know that his travels are like you know 
different races or whatever. But like, so it really fails to capture in a very uh, inspiring or immersive manner as to like what's happening. Uh, but yeah, so ultimately, what this is is a cursed land or like a you know a curse falling upon a land um, mm-hmm. and the repercussions of it. Right. So there's an ancient city which is built upon a holy land. Um, very, very generic adjectives, by the way, like, yep. if, if you can do that. it's, um, uh, but, and, uh, so, you know, they uncovered an idol of sorrow, uh, which unleashed uh, darkness upon the land. Um, uh, many ages later, uh, a kingdom of Heladin receives that idol. Um, yeah. Uh, and because it's a cursed idol, uh, you know, the ruin encroaches upon their land as well. And, uh, the king of Heladin sends out a sword master, uh, Septiego. Uh, and a legion of uh, and a legion and army of soldiers to return the idol to where it came from, but obviously this is a monkey spot. This is a cursed idol. Uh, presumably, uh-huh. like the story doesn't say this, but presumably, when the king received the cursed idol, there may have been a period of prosperity or like the monkey spot nature of it. Like they might have got something early on, like a short term gain, but like mm-hmm. clearly, like a ruin has fallen upon their kingdom, and that's why they want to return it. Um, clearly, they have to return it to the source where it came from. Uh, it doesn't right. go well for that legion, uh, for Septiego and his <laughs> legion. Uh, you, you know, uh, we're, we could get in. I don't know if it counts as spoilers, but you actually do end up uh, finding his legion and, um, uh, yeah. you know, the remains and stuff like that. That's what happened to them. There's some cool stuff there to go into. Um, but the beginning of the game is this basically this cutscene kind of feels like the Legends of Hidden Temple narrator or whatever talking about this. Mm-hmm. There's a kind of charming quality to it of like, you know, when you're a kid and like, you're being put to sleep telling a story or whatever um it kind of has that quality again feels a lot like the dark souls 2 opening to me like that old lady just spinning a yarn to you you know Uh um but yeah at the beginning of the game uh you're septiego's friend you're the prince of a neighboring kingdom uh for heladin called azalin uh you're prince deviant and uh you're the player character um yep uh, on a stormy night uh masked character arrives at your door and gives you the idol and says, uh, you have to return it. Like, you know, it's on your kingdom now. You're going to get the curse. Yep. So the only thing to do is return it. Um, and uh, you take a one-man expedition instead. Because if video games have taught us anything, it's that one person can do what a legion of army, <laughs> a legion of soldiers could not. So, uh, right. and obviously exactly. you, have, you have video game powers and you have uh, a save system. So, you know, you're going to beat this. Um yeah, so, you know, that's the story, um, you know, and there's obviously, like, that whole soul's nature of, like, you're visiting the Ruined Kingdom, you learn about, uh, you know, the different, uh, the dungeon ecology, as I talked about, right? Like, you learn about these different folk um, surrounding that kingdom, or, like, as you go deeper, you kind of find out that this ancient city built upon this holy land is actually not a single civilization, but there's multiple civilizations, Um and uh, you kind of find some of them in working state, uh, you know, when you visit them. Like, you know, I'm, the widow, the snake people come to mind, right? Like, they're clearly still active when, you, when you're... Because mm-hmm. you, in that level especially, it kind of feels like you're encroaching upon them, right? Like, they're, they're kind of keeping out, right? So this cursed idol is clearly being kept out of where it was. Um, so, yeah, um... Uh, deeper readings into the story you know it's a classic souls conceit as i said of a of a curse falling upon a land uh but to me you know you can read more into it like you know there's 
violence that was done upon you know the earth folk for example um uh the dwarfs for uh, the dwarfs who are the uh the forgers uh and everything who were kind of clearly turned into stone or like uh you know captured due to what happened when the curse fought, fell upon them so you can read more into it as as in that souls thing of like there is a curse or there is a darkness or whatever but it's never so like light and dark both sides of the coin thing um there was a rotten place already you know there is yeah the most unfortunate in the land were already suffering you know there there's mm-hmm. all of those elements to it so and uh, as I said at the beginning, the story of this is kind of disconnected to the first three Kingsfield games. Um, the first three King D- Kingsfield games had their own story. Um, and some people have done, you know, some parallels or like some connections to that. But this is like a completely self-contained story. So even like what you said here, and we're not even in like story spoilers yet. E- even what you said there is more than I picked up uh, from the story. I like playing the game i didn't know my character's name um i watched the opening cutscene, and then i kind of just like you know in in one ear out the other didn't really internalize a whole lot of it because it's it's kind of just like you know this booming narrator there was an ancient land and the, yeah. the king was given an idol and stuff like that mm-hmm. and then uh after that i was basically like okay like you start the game the only thing in your inventory is this uh, cursed idol. And then the game is just kind of like pushes you out the door and they're like, okay, off you go now. And uh, it it really wasn't until maybe the very end of the game. And uh, the, uh, the Wicca palace had some story that I actually picked up on uh, like direct story too. Other than that, I didn't pick up on a whole lot, but that's fine. I don't need a whole, I've said it before, on the show, especially with games like this that have such strong atmosphere. I just kind of like have fun exploring and just vibe with any flavor text that I get. Any NPC dialogue is just flavor for me, uh, the way that I consume these stories. So, but we did want to give you the story setup uh, before we get into our final thoughts, which now we're going to go into a music break to get into. Okay, we're back and time for our final thoughts in summary. If you want to give our kind of distilled opinion about Kingsfield 4 for uh, people listening who maybe haven't played it, or of course those who have, uh, Mystic, we'll start with the guest as always. What would you tell uh, my listeners about Kingsfield 4? All right, I have suggestions in the order of accessibility. All right. Okay. Num- number one. Listen to the soundtrack. It's very easy to do. It's all available online. You know, just bring up bring up the YouTube playlist to the soundtrack. I think, you know, even if 
you're not enamored with all of it, you might find a track or two that really speaks to you. Um, you know, it, it's it's really, really special. Trust me on this. It's, it's a very special soundtrack. Uh, that's the easiest thing to do. Number two, you can watch an LP of it. A lot of cool Souls YouTubers, other like cool people are like, uh, doing reevaluations of this game or revisiting it, and like, there's a lot of cool content about about it coming up on YouTube. The, you know, especially over the last couple of years. But you know, there's even some good ones even older than that. Uh, number three, try to get an emulator. Uh, yeah, know, it's <laughs> it's as you said, there could be some technical problems. You know, setting up everything properly, but it's really not that hard to do. Like, you can definitely get an emulator and play this and. Uh, I would totally suggest you maybe check out, you know, the Shadow Tower games too, especially Shadow Tower Abyss, which is, in my opinion, also a very, very special game. Um, Is that also on PS2, Shadow Tower Abyss? That one you can only play on an emulator because um, the an official English translation is not available uh, on a disc. You can, I think, you can play it on a jailbroken PS2, but yeah. Okay, that'll be the next uh, PS2 emulator game I'll try out then. I'm definitely... Uh, gonna be in the mood for something that gives me the same feeling for sure yeah it's a it's a very similar but also very different game uh people say okay. king's field is to shadow tower is like dark souls is to bloodborne you know in a weird way uh in terms of like the creature design like the kind of cohesive uh design sensibilities and stories going for and all that but yeah final thoughts like i i it's a you know it's a I wouldn't say it's like a complete recommendation, you know, for everyone, because I can totally see a lot of people running up against like all the, uh, you know, the age of the game, especially and like the, you know, how hard it can be to get everything running and like going and like the time it can get used to it. But man, like if I was able to speak to like how special this game is to me, like maybe it will be that special to you. Like, you know, like we all love the Souls games, right? Like so many of us do. And I can tell you that a lot of that heart and charm and magic is present in this game. You can totally find it. Uh, Trust me on this. Like there are many moments that are very special, but like there are definitely a few moments that will definitely speak out to you if you're a Souls fan. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I'm I'm with you on uh, maybe listening to the soundtrack first to get a, a feel because I think the soundtrack does capture some of that like really unique uh, atmosphere in the game. I am definitely with you that anyone who wants to play this game, I think you should play with an emulator. Uh, I mean, unless you have a PS2 sitting around and you can find a you know a copy of the game to play, the the just. Like my own personal experience, like I said, I I, w- I would not have made it through this game without save states, full stop, mm-hmm. would not right. have made it. Um, so I definitely recommend it uh, to be played that way. But like you said, this, and like I've said before uh, too, this, this game should be something that I would not like uh, because I don't like a lot of older games. And this game does have a pretty high, like, adjustment period at the beginning very like abrupt adjustment especially if you're coming from very very modern action games um i would liken this to somebody you know playing a very heavily modded version of skyrim and then going back and playing morrowind for the first time and not knowing <laughs> what to expect really, that's really accurate 
it's a, it's a big adjustment period, but like there, so I played it, you know, and I got frustrated, put it down a few times, you know, pick it back up. But like, I was always thinking about it in the back of my head. And I was always like, there's something pulling me back to this game. And so even through those periods where I was frustrated or even through those periods where I was like, these, these bosses are bullshit. Uh, there is just a, like a, I think there is a magical quality to this game that, you know, if it were remade and re-released in 2022, I think it would probably lose some of that magical quality. Uh, I agree. Just from some of the limitations uh, that it uh, presented. Not saying I wouldn't play a remade uh, version of this, but I, I do think there is a kind of, you know, thing that I can't really describe that kept me coming back to it and kept me super immersed in it. And we've, we've done our best to explain why that happened as we've gone through. So I do recommend people play this if you are up for an adjustment. If you know yourself and you're like, I would get frustrated learning a very foreign control scheme and super different combat style. If you know that you'd be frustrated by that, this is probably not the game for you. Um, just be honest with yourself. Like there's no shame in saying like, yeah, that doesn't sound like my thing. Um, but if you think you're up for it and you want to get this like very cool exploration and very uh, unique kind of tone and atmosphere in this game, if you love everything from software is done, uh, you know, in the modern age of gaming, why not try Kingsfield four out? I think, uh, a lot of people will find something to really like here, just as me and mystic have been talking about. So before we get into spoiler time, little housekeeping for the podcast. Uh, before I talk about me, Mystic, do you want to direct people to any uh, social media or anything that you've got going on? Uh, not too much. I mean, I'm on Twitter, MysticReferee86. Um, that's pretty much it. Like I, okay. <laughs> like I, I'm not really a big in her presence or anything, but like, yeah, I'm in on the Duckfeed community. Uh, I'm in a few other Souls discords or whatever, so... Always have to talk about souls or whatever. So that's cool. <laughs> okay, right on. Yep. Well, for Tales from the Backlog, please remember to subscribe, give ratings and reviews on your platform of choice if it allows it. If it doesn't allow it, just hop on over to Spotify or Apple Podcast and leave a five-star review. Very much appreciate that. And uh, follow the podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, although I'm not super active on Facebook. The episode description will have links to the social media pages where you can talk to me about the games that are on the episodes and you can find out what's coming up uh, in the coming month on the show. So we are going to take a break. When we come back, it is spoiler talk for Kingsfield 4.
I am back with Mystic, and we are going to talk spoilers for Kingsfield 4. And uh, as you may expect, with games like this, like in the Hollow Knight episode, the Dark Souls episode, um, I don't pick up the story a whole lot. And I, it's not my job to teach you the story of this game. It's my job to tell you about my experience playing it. So I'm going to base the, my uh, spoiler section here on my experience playing the game. So the first thing I want to start out with is that um, I had a great time vibing through the mm-hmm. first several levels, you know, the, the, the city ruins, the spider cave, the mines, um, all of that stuff. And, uh, I think the first several bosses in the game are horrible. Uh, and I singled out the fire demon here as just a really unfair boss. I think, uh, what makes it unfair, I think is that like you're fighting him one-on-one. He's super powerful. He's probably too strong for you when you first get to that area. Like, I think you're meant to go back later and fight him. That's fine. Uh, but what I don't like is that you'll be fighting him and projectiles will come off of like outside of your field of vision and just come hit you in the back while you're trying to fight. And uh, I really hated that fight. I came back like basically when I was ready to beat the game, I went back and just beat his ass because I was so like, you know, you're going to get what's coming to you. Oh, interesting. I'm maybe misremembering this then because I was going to say like, Maybe it was a design encounter and it was just shitty. Like, I didn't know. Uh, maybe I'm misremembering which fire demon it is. Um, it, it's, for, you're saying... it's for sure. It's for sure optional. So it's it's in that oh, okay. area that has those like uh, those like dragonite looking, you know, dragon monsters. And it has the it has the big fat dude that's blocking the lava. Right, right. So this is the refinery, right? So that's the place which has the rule of nature. But I'm not talking about the the big fat thing that's blocking the lava. That fight oh, was okay, okay. like kind of annoying, but it was fine. But like you can go up a path like a Oh wait, a very that's the guy that adds walkway. he has ads, right? He pulls out like other people too with him. Uh the fire demon dude, the the fat guy has ads. Uh the okay. fat, you know, blob thing. Um there but there's like an actual like fire demon and you like okay. you go up this thing uh this like long passageway this winding thing a you bridge cross this really narrow bridge yes and then no, there's like this circular <laughs> arena uh, I remember and you now. fight this yes. this fire demon and i hate that fight i thought it was awful okay then i'm just uh i totally agree with you if i'm not even like completely remembering unless you like prodded me that much it was probably a shitty experience anyway, but like, I don't yeah. remember like coming, I don't remember like coming back to beat him, but I think I might've beat him, but I probably cheesed him, you know? Uh, and yeah. I was, I was thinking of the big lava dude who was also like pretty shitty boss, but I think I ended up yeah. cheesing him as well. So that one was, that one was manageable though, because like I used my sword swings to kill his ads. And then I just shot that lightning magic at him yeah. from a distance and like as long as you're always moving i didn't think that was too terribly hard like the first time i fought it i was like this sucks and then the second time i beat it i i, I like well, we said it before i don't think any of these bosses are great mm-hmm. but uh it's it's definitely not horrible horrible not as bad as that um you know that that actual like satan looking demon thing um that you fight kind of at the top of that level Oh yeah, absolutely. That one 
and I think even the run up to that is pretty brutal. Like there's a lot of uh, a lot of like enemies in that level that are also hard. But yeah, this uh, this projectile fire demon you're talking about, like if he's optional, like I guess I just assumed that he was just another enemy, especially if he wasn't like blocking me. Uh, so maybe oh, I just yeah. really internal. I didn't probably internalize him as a boss, but I but I totally agree with you. Like anytime there's like a whole bunch of uh, projectiles that like really run up against your ability to like do a full turn or like properly strafe like that's that's the designers like being dicks i mean and we know from can do that like they've always had a history of like having a boss or two that like really kind of stretches the (laughs) uh, limits of like challenge or whatever but um i agree uh totally and that spider boss like the first boss that you find i'm a little more forgiving of that one because i feel like that one kind of teaches you to use your magic spells because you you need the fire spell to fight that guy mm-hmm. so uh so especially because it's so early and you kind of have to get that um uh that trinket to give to the little girl or like that other npc to get the fire spell uh, you know that that whole kind of lead up to that thing teaching you to like, hey, you got the fire spell, use it to get past those kind of, that, that kind of worked for me, but I, I agree, like the mandatory spider boss, like the weird, um, you know, strafing that you have to do, which is again, a little kind of stretching the limits of challenge yeah. there as well. well. I agree. Yeah. If if you're not already good at the circle strafing, uh, oh, yeah. that spider boss is going to teach early. you how to yeah. do it because it's, it's like, 100 percent mandatory learn how to circle strafe or that spider is going to kill you like real fast um that spider boss also teaches you how finicky it is to place um items because you find Mm -hmm. that um that thing that helps you like heal the the spring or like cleanse the spring uh down the healing fountain or whatever they call it Mm -hmm. and you have to place it on the altar where the spider was but it's one of those things where like if you're half a degree or half a centimeter too far away, it just won't register that you're trying to put it there. So <laughs> there's yeah. a little, uh, another lesson for you that the game's teaching you, um, not in a great way, but you'll learn. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple of set pieces, like I guess early on in the game that like really, yeah, yeah. um, you know, um, Early on, like one of the moments that really stuck out for me is, um, I think the, it, the this is the place where you get the bracelet of clarity or the ring of clarity is that that little like s- small village that you enter with the girl that's really sad, whose mother who's sick, whose father yeah. is gone. <laughs> yeah, it's just oh, the classic just sold sad sack story. Um, like there's a house you enter. Uh, and you enter the back door of the house and enter its yard and the door kind of closes behind you or whatever. And uh-huh. there's this weird ass tree. Uh, yeah. That just this tree looks creature back yeah, there. It's just like a in place ant or whatever, just like a super cool set piece. I think like, I think watching that at first, like kind of gave me a sense of like the creature design. Cause until then you're kind of just looking at, um, just those pill Skeletons bugs or and pill bugs, pill bugs and, yeah. and things like that. So like that first, like really striking moment of like, Oh yeah, this is, this is my, the, the, the from software that I am familiar with. So that was super cool. Um, it was, yeah, that, that one, uh, definitely like <laughs> that one definitely gave me a sense of like, it made me think like, there's like a mini story here. Like that's, mm-hmm maybe part of the curse, like someone, like someone was turned into that thing Mm -hmm. and, uh, the family just kind of like locked it back there, you know, like 
don't open that door. Nobody opens that door. You, you don't want to see what's back there. Like this door stays shut forever, you know? Right. And then you do uh, find that guy in the church who's asking for something, but then you go back and you find out the skeletons have already killed him. That's another classic soul story. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think the father of that family is the one that you find in the mines. That's, uh, yeah, he's, that's, he's that's in the dead, mines. Right? He's, yeah. he's dead, I think. Yeah, <laughs> he's dead. Yeah. yeah. That's their fate. Yeah, he's um, crushed by uh, crushed by rocks. And yeah. <laughs> there's another dude in the mines who's just like digging forever, you know? Yeah, yeah. Just like classic yeah. soul stuff. I do love the design of the little uh, uh, poison mushrooms growing out of the bodies that are just, uh, that just puff out poison mm-hmm. when you get close to them. Very striking yeah. enemy design as well. And those, um, uh, those slimes in the mines uh, also poison you. And like poison is... Poison is such like an emergency when it happens in this game. It's it's yeah. kind of crazy. But then like I feel like there's maybe a couple times in the game where it's like really challenging because obviously in the beginning of the game you're really struggling. So poison's a big uh, you know big enemy. But then it really doesn't become a big deal until you enter the Widow Castle and like those snakes are doing it to you. That that snake boss has horrible poison design. But um, yeah, that yeah. that's that's everything. But yeah, progressing through like uh, what I'm remembering, um, one of my favorite moments in the game is like, you know, when you make the first approach to the tower uh, and you're, you know, before you open up the tower fully, um, you find the area with the xenomorphs and like, just like the (laughs) weird, uh, like internal catacomb area with all the xenomorphs. But like really a moment that still sticks out to me. And I remember taking a screenshot and a video of this as well. It's like you're climbing up and all these bats come out at you and like, uh, you know, these xenomorphs are chasing you. You've had a pretty harrowing time and you're going up uh, this spiral staircase, I think. And like going up and going up and it feels like you're escaping these things. And like, uh, and you enter the clearing into the forest area. Uh, mm-hmm. I I just, something about that is like, you know, it's, it's just one of those moments. Like, again, like if someone has like similar sensibilities as me, like, that's like one of those moments like it's worth it you know if you're playing this game it's like the way they give you that claustrophobic feeling but at the same time open it up uh it with such a limited palette and like it feels like you're actually breathing fresh air when you enter the forest for the first time uh just really really stuck out to me and then those mossy stone knights that are Again, very Dark Souls 2-ish. Like, they look like the Dark Souls 2 giants or whatever. Uh, oh, and those, I really... uh, like the golems that are out there? Yeah, the, yeah. Go- the golems. Yeah, sorry. Uh, not the knights. Uh, but yeah, like you... the Them moving away once you unlock them to open the door for you. Just so much about that area. It was, like, so magical to me. I think that that whole forest... Uh, the forest folk introduction and, like, you find your proto-firekeeper just sitting next to the... <laughs> Uh, the pool the fountain yeah the water keeper yeah. i guess um yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's yeah that was that was cool because uh you'd up until that point you'd been it's either you're outside and it's dark uh the whole time or you're inside and it's dark uh, the whole time and then you come out into the forest and suddenly there's there's sunlight for the first time in the entire game mm-hmm. um yeah that, that was moment. a cool uh cool thing and you're right like a total breath of fresh air after what was a pretty tough dungeon uh, to come out into just such a peaceful, uh, what ends up being like your home base um, later on through the game. Cause you have that, you know, that, that building with the four treasure chests you need to get the, uh, yep. the eyes out of. And um, 
one of those warp spots, uh, which ended up being until I got to that fountain that refills health and magic, like way late in the game, that was my warp back refill the flasks uh, spot in the forest. Yeah. And then and because we're in that vicinity, I loved entering the the castle, I think, through the when the golem opens it up fighting knights because it felt like dark souls to me fighting those knights you know it just had like Mm -hmm. similar combat patterns as them like dodging around them it felt like i was playing souls and i think that's when i was like really hooked because like oh man this is all here like all the things i love yeah (laughs) and then let's talk about the skeletons man like i fucking love the skeletons in this game they're so cool and like my favorite skeleton set piece is probably the guy that rings the gong and like all the skeletons stand up in the room Oh man, that that's so cool. tanked my frame rate on the emulator when all those skeletons stood up. I was fighting; it was actually pretty. Hel- my computer is not very powerful, so this happened to me often. Actually, like frame rate would slow down to like what I assume is like thirty. No, not not thirty. Like you know, twenty and below, uh, where mm-hmm. things are moving in super slow motion, and uh, so it actually kind of helped uh, plan like what I'm gonna do. But when all the skeletons in that, like, um, you know, that burial chamber, wherever they are, when mm. all of them came up, my frame rate, like, plummeted down. <laughs> and it was, wow. like, super, super slow motion. Uh, like, oh. someone actually hit a slow motion effect on the emulator when that happened. I hope that didn't, like, completely ruin the moment or something for you. Because for me, it was, like, so cool. And uh, it was. I remember, I forget how I beat them, but it was challenging, but it was just a cool moment. Yeah. It, it didn't um it didn't ruin the moment for sure but it, it definitely like i they all came up but like when they start attacking and stuff is when uh the frame rate started to go down and i think i beat them just by like the same way i always do when i have a bunch of enemies um try to like aggro them one at a time but the problem mm-hmm. with those is there i think a lot of those skeletons were archers so i i kept my distance used that you know, a light ball spell uh, to kill as many of them as I could. And I eventually got through it. That I remember that one because that was frustrating because there's a key item in that room in the back. Uh, there's like, it, it might actually be a key. And mm-hmm. I like just missed it. You know, the game is not super great at like letting you know where a key item might be. Like this is right. just literally like, sitting there or it's like mm-hmm. in a coffin i can't remember but like there's like 40 coffins in that room yes yeah. so uh, that was that was a point where like i was glad i was playing with a guide because i probably would have right. you know just skipped right past that key you know yeah i suppose like the initial moment of like the set piece revealing itself is way cooler than the actual tedium of like clearing them out and like doing the search through yeah. things or whatever but still i think i'll i'll give it i'll give it to the game for giving me that oh. moment i guess yeah actually <laughs> yeah you know what uh don't all those skeletons die if you hit that bell again? yes they do they do so they i do think die. that's how i did it like i think the um i think the the guide probably told me if okay. you hit the bell they all die so i may have cheated my way past that but that is cool that that's how you can get past that but maybe I'm misremembering when you do go to the coffins in the back, I think there are some, some that will still harass you, I believe. Oh, there's, uh, there's, <laughs> there's yeah. like 15 more skeletons yeah. in that back room. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> Either way, you're going to get skeleton 
game. Yeah. But, uh, if if you like skeletons, uh, yes. Kingsfield Four is a game that you have to play because there yes. are skeletons aplenty in this game. Uh, side note: uh, From Software used to release these like PlayStation demo discs, um, and uh, you know, I'll try to find the screenshot later. But like, there's there's one where they're like talking about the power of the PlayStation or whatever. And it's like. Uh, in every frame, they're just showing off skeletons, basically. They're just like, look at all our cool skeletons we've rendered in this new hardware or whatever. Hell they, yeah. They love Hell skeletons. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> the, if I would have seen that, I would have bought a PlayStation. Right. But um, Next level that I want to talk about is uh, it's the Ocean Fort. And I'm, I think I'm so skipping cool. a pretty significant chunk of like the middle of the game. Uh, but yeah. I don't remember a whole lot. And the Ocean Fort stood out to me because it's uh, the proto sense fortress. Um, a yeah, it, I mean it is a fortress. It's like a you know a ocean fortress, but full of traps. You know, collapsing floors. Uh, one trap in particular that gave me a chuckle is a uh, the collapsing floor that dumps you into a pool full of piranhas. Piranha. Yes, <laughs> uh, made me laugh like a very very like okay from soft. You got me very yeah. good. Uh, props to you. Um, but lots of arrow traps and stuff like that too. There's that one puzzle where you're trying to, there's this room that has like seven treasure chests in it and the floor will collapse uh, under you if you're not careful. Yeah. Like, so totally it's, it is protosense fortress, but I also do love like the approach to it as well. Like I think uh, when you first enter like the ocean side area, like you just see the lighthouse and, this sort of fort mm-hmm. in the middle of the ocean. It's just such a cool vibe. Uh, again, like when the game does so much with its palette that like, even though it's putting you in those claustrophobic spaces, like it does it just such a good effect that when you, it does open up, it just, it feels so much more striking for sure. Um, ocean Ford's like a fantastic example of that. Um, but like as an example of one of my favorite, like sort of claustrophobic uh, stretches, um, the whole like earth folk area, like the refinery, especially where you fight the ice knights. Um, and then uh, you have to do all that puzzle, I guess, go into the fire area, like balance it out. There's like a, there's like real funny uh, uh, tablets there. It's like, they're just saying very mm-hmm. obvious things such as like fire melts ice or whatever. They're not really yeah. telling you anything great, but, <laughs> but I do love the sort of balancing out the thing there and like fighting the ice knights. We've already talked about like they're cool hurricane kick styles yeah um yeah i I really love that stretch uh yeah so that's cool for sure it is good and i i remember like i was glad i was playing with a guide because one of the best weapons in the game uh before Mm -hmm. you get the moonlight sword is uh you just find it like on the beach like on the coastline next to the save point right outside that um you know uh proto sense fortress area it's called the tsunami right that weapon yeah, and it's it's you you can't even really see it. It's just yes. you just have to like point your camera at the ground and then press A a bunch of times and eventually you'll pick it up uh when you hit the right tile. And uh it's it's very weird, but if you were to find that naturally, it would be the coolest thing cuz it's such a good weapon. Um but I was glad I was using a guide cuz I I wouldn't think to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. Um, but you mentioned the Widow Castle earlier, and this is one of the coolest parts of the game because this is like a story that I actually pick up on. And it's like mm-hmm. cool, like dark, uh, dangerous, magical story, too. So like 
this is uh, the snake heaven. And uh, <laughs> like we said, Proto Sense Fortress, this, these are the, the snake enemies that are in Sense Fortress. They uh, are right here. Just the same ones, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and I, like comparing side by side, I'm sure the resolution is higher in Dark Souls, but like it's the same uh, model. Yeah. As far as I know. And uh, this one has like this story where they're like turning people into snakes. They're like capturing people from this expedition and they're turning them into snakes. And you get to like talk to the NPC that's in charge of this Mm -hmm. uh, in there. And uh, that was pretty cool. And that's where you find like the uh, sort of unceremonious end to Septiego, like the guy that yeah. originally led the Legion. The Swordmaster. Uh, I was totally like, when playing the game, I was like, totally like, that's guy, that guy's going to be a boss or something later on. But no, it's just, mm-hmm. he just died. Um, yeah. And there's that funny NPC. I think, uh, man, there's, I forget his name, but he had like pretty generic name as well. But like, he. Yeah. Um, <laughs> his name's like Bill or something like that. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. And like, yeah, he's like. I don't know. There's like some fat jokes or whatever, I guess. Like the the guy's just like loves eating or something. And uh, he, I, I do remember it's, it is a cool little like neat, concise short story, oh, as you said. That other uh, guy, the guy that's in like that, like barricaded cell, camp right. area. Who, he's like, part of the, he's part of the contingent that got trapped in there, but he's right. like, and you go and talk to him earlier in the game and there's another guy in there uh, with mm-hmm. him. And then you go back later and it's like very strongly hinted that he ate the other guy that was in yes. there with him. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a very, like, minor touch you might not pick up on, but, like, once that quest finishes, if you peek through the room, you can kind of see that uh, he has, like, a sneaky-looking tongue coming out. So there's that whole Uh transformation, I guess, storyline or whatever. Like, he's... I do remember, like, you end the story by giving him a widow egg or something, so... Yeah, he gives you a crystal flask, I think. (laughs) So there's some weird shit going on there. Like, he's definitely turning into a widow or something. But yeah, like, he, yeah, it's like a funny little aside there. But yeah, it's a a neat little short story. And then there's that cool thing of, like, you having to don the disguise of the widow to enter, even. Like, Uh uh, (laughs) because you can't get through, uh, you can get through the fire, I think, if you put on enough defense. But the easiest way to do it is by wearing their equipment, which also gives you, like, really cool bonuses. Um, mm-hmm. so, and also uh fashion oriented yep. if you if you want to wear cool snake armor yeah yep for sure <laughs> um, great, great area you uh you mentioned before the boss in that widow area and i i agree um there's two right there's if i'm remembering right there's a double snake boss and then there's the sort of like the queen of the, the widow queen or whatever. yeah so the the double snake was pretty easy i thought because i had a bunch of antidotes so if it poisoned me it didn't matter mm-hmm. um the queen i just cheesed from shooting arrows like at the end of the hallway like right it i'm sure if you went up in the room to fight it would have been really hard but i i saw her and i could like you know you played the game for long enough at this point like you see the boss in this room at the end of a hallway and mm-hmm. you're like oh i'm not going in there i'm just going to shoot arrows from the end of the hallway <laughs> yes oh yeah they're just terrible i think the i remember the double snakes being like worse i think than the queen itself yeah. but for i for some reason i didn't have a ton of trouble with the double snakes but like i i definitely get how it could be really frustrating yeah, I think maybe I was using trying to use a crossbow instead of magic. I forget. But I just remember being frustrated and just wanted to get over with. Because, like, I really want to say, like, something I missed saying earlier is, like, this mid to late <laughs> game stretch 
I love it so much. I think there's just uh-huh. a cool set of areas one after the other. Um, you know, just starting from like, you know, I love the refinery, obviously, like, as I said, like, mm-hmm. I found it cool, at least. Like, there's a lot of cool secrets in there, like you do, do cool stuff, but like, it opens up into the Oceanside area, and then you get the Widow Castle, and then... Oh yeah, just right after the Widow Castle, you get the mine cart area, which I love. I can totally see someone getting frustrated in that area, but I love the <laughs> that area was super weird. But I yeah, enjoyed I it. can I can see the cons- I just love that conceit of you sitting in a mine cart and traveling through it. It just becomes a completely different game for a bit. Uh, again, a lot of cool secrets there. I just I was just having so much fun in that mid to late game stretch uh, that you know. Great things to say about an old game, uh, you know, in that it it sort of kept getting better in the latter yeah. section. You know, it it's definitely has its hardest and like toughest parts in the beginning. I feel. Um, yeah, I I definitely agree. The refinery onward, basically up through like the passage of light, I thought is like just all around like really excellent, really fun. Um, the passage of light. I didn't think the passage of light was really fun, but it's so visually striking and the music in there There's is so nothing like, like it. <laughs> so stressful. Yeah. Like the music puts so much pressure on you, even though like it's not really hard. There's just like some, you know, little wyvern dudes flying around yeah. or something like that. And then you, you have to go in these areas and you, you have to fight these um uh those those knights they have like four arms or something like that am i remembering that right yes the the four-armed knights that you have to find in each of those yeah. big uh, rooms in there so it's not really hard but like the the visuals of it is like so different from everything else in the game and the music is it, it, i'll cut it in right here so people who are uh listening uh, maybe you don't remember or like just listening because maybe you're not going to play the game like the, the music is wild and it just puts this pressure on you that um, is kind of cool. Yeah, and that's what I meant earlier when like the the soundtrack kind of uh, is very diverse because like this one really does feel like a garage rock like like a track <laughs> like a like Kingsfield Kingsfield's version of, of like a real fast thrash metal song or whatever. It's like it's so jarring like when you first enter it and like yeah, yeah. it's 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 metal like it's absolutely metal. I think it's one of the coolest things that happens in the game and like and unlike anything i've seen in terms of its sensibilities like yeah like the there is a bit of like um um jarring uh visual effect like you know there's a lot of flashiness uh which i can maybe see some people getting frustrated by but like i think it's like not too overbearing i think it's i'm thankful that it's not a super long area at least i think there's just like a couple of rooms maybe that you just have to get mm-hmm. some treasures in and fight those four-armed knights. But in terms of aesthetic, it's just got so much going for it. It's just such a cool little section. And I went into the Passage of Light like earlier in the game, like way too early. Yeah. Because um, you it's it's connected to like a really kind of early game area. 
And so like you can step outside and immediately the music just and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should be out here right now. This this feels uh this feels tough. Very then, cathartic. Yeah. Uh, I think maybe one of those things like hit me once and took down like almost all of my health. And I was like, yes, uh, come back later for this place. So, yeah. And the passenger light is in the King's throne kind of area. It's like, it's near that other door where it asks you to prove your, uh, prove your kingly or something. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's where it's, it's like one of those, like, as you said, early game areas, that's also a late game area, like, you know, classic souls thing. But um, yeah, it's a lot of cool set pieces there. Before we even get, we can get to the Moonlight Sword moment, but like, um, there's that other room there, I think right around the corner somewhere where like, you have all these like ice kind of following you. Um, if yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. There's like yeah. a whole bunch of statues with like a single eye on each of them. And like, you're walking through the room and they're all following you. And you basically have to hit them all to like solve that puzzle or whatever. Just like a really cool visual, like striking set piece. And then there's yeah. that other area where I think all these corpses are on the ceiling, uh, kind of wrapped up in a web or like something. Uh, and you kind of have to look up to the ceiling to like get some treasure uh, because it'll mm. drop down or whatever. I don't know if you got that, but um, yeah, I don't think I even yeah. saw that because I feel like I would remember if I saw that. Um. <laughs> Might be a secret little room or whatever. But again, like yeah. there's the concentration there in that near the king's throne or like the castle area where like. Um, there's just a lot of visual set pieces for sure. Yeah. And there's also that boss that you fight there that will just infinitely respawn skeletons. Um, and yes, I, I, is that the door that asks like to prove your kingliness yes, and that, I think it that is. boss is behind it? Yes. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, totally. And that, that's literally near the area where we get the moonlight sword, right? Yeah. Well, I saw, and I saw this, this happens when I was like looking up, like, you know, Kingsfield builds or like strategy guides. And I saw a bunch of people uh, saying stuff like, you know, if you want to, you know, cheese the game and make it easier for yourself, all you have to do is fight this infinite skeleton boss for like five straight hours and then you'll be set for the rest of the game. And I was like, why would you do that? Like, you don't need to, yeah, you, don't you don't need, need to, to fight him for five and straight hours. And as I said, you... the speedrun strategy <laughs> is to like just fight things with fists early on. So your fists are... Yeah fists of glory for the rest of the game so there's a lot of places to cheese things but yeah anytime but it, anything it was, is yeah. it was presented as like this pro gamer strategy where it was like you know you want to level up easy the easy way the quick way to level up in kingsfield 4 is fight the infinite respawning boss like for seven hours in a row and i was like that's not easy that's not you know that's the opposite of quick and easy level up strategies Right. Uh, side note, I love <laughs> these old game game facts when you look them up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so much of it is like the guy writing the game facts bringing his personality to the table. It's like yeah. them like telling a little story or whatever. And like, yeah, you'll find like different people swearing that their strategy is the best or whatever for some of these older games. And there's no way to, you know, back then, I guess there was no way to verify whether it's actually the right strategy. It's just this guy is sitting down. <laughs> yeah his this person opinion. is this person is the authority on kingsfield yes. because they wrote a full like you know yes. fifty thousand word game facts guide about the game so they are i'm the happy they did. i'm very <laughs> grateful to them either way <laughs> oh yeah. yeah anytime you play one of these older games like you without question there will always be someone who poured 
a lot of time into a long ass game facts uh, guide about it. So props to them. I, I definitely used one of those or two of them uh, for this game. So uh, let's get into like the home stretch here. So you you find a um, a staple of the Soulsborne series, the Moonlight Sword, uh, which in the other games is always like an optional thing that I've never used because uh, even if my build was right for it, I was always like much more comfortable with another weapon. Like thinking of my most recent Bloodborne run, um, I was doing a strength arcane build, but by the time I got that, I was like just very comfortable with my other weapons. So I never used it. Um, But in this game, it's awesome. The Moonlight Sword is great and you should like equip it immediately. Yeah, and it's such a moment, and it's uh, again like like and this is true of all the king's fields. It's not just a staple in these games, but it's actually like low relevant and actually an important thing that you need. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, to get into the story related things here, like you create the moonlight sword by using uh, the sword that you find on Septiego's body uh, in the Witta right. Castle. Uh, so it's an important sword, and it it, it kind of tells you something that. You know, you need the Moonlight Sword to kind of unlock the late game stretch. So in a weird way, like if you want to read, you know, too much into the story here, it's kind of weird that the king had something that could have returned the idol back, you know, to its original place. But it's this, mm-hmm. but it's the snake civilization or the Widda people that kind of kept out Septiego and his band of uh, people. So it kind of tells you that the, they didn't want the curse of uh, the idol of sorrow back, you know, well, back to where it was because they know that it brings uh, brings them uh, ruin, uh, and maybe right. that's why it was originally even sent out. So it kind of maybe makes you question the motivations of like the ancient city to start with. Is like, you know, this curse actually performed a violence on like all these other civilizations when it was present. Uh, that's why they wanted to get rid of it or whatever. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting stuff. So, but yeah, like it's a really cool moment when you get it. Uh, and, you know, I guess I expected a moonlight sword to be present, but I, um, I didn't expect I was going to get it when I entered that room. But like when you slowly walk up all those roots and then insert the sword and it was like, I was like, Oh yeah, this is going to be the moonlight sword. I can feel it. <laughs> yeah it was a it is a cool moment and a cut kind of felt like in a game that doesn't really have cutscenes. it felt like a very like in a much later game this would have been like a you know very produced cutscene. you know you put the sword in it gets blessed by this holy light and then you pull out the moonlight sword and you're like all right let's go yeah um Really cool. And I, I want to quickly bring up one more area in the final stretch that I really love. Um, yeah. So th- there's the, um, there's like the little graveyard, I think, when you that you unlock near the end and you get to, um, before you get to the flooded area, which is cool as well. Like, you know, it's a little mm-hmm. frustrating to manage your breathing or whatever in there, but you can find cool armor in there and all that. I do love exploring the base of the tower with the water and like uh, changing the water level and uh, mm-hmm. kind of seeing the kind of seeing the absolute zenith i guess of um um uh, you know of that area but like um the other area that really sticks out to me is uh the mansion of howling winds i think that's what it's called in the soundtrack at least because oh, i yeah 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 yep. i 
that might be my favorite track on the soundtrack. You know, it keeps changing because I listen to the soundtrack a lot. But Mansion of the Howling Winds is just so peaceful. I just really love that composition. Um, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's really peaceful as long as you're not getting blown off of those off, bridges off by the those bridge. gusts of wind. <laughs> yeah, and then those weird like rock trolls or something outside that. Yeah. Um, but I do love that stretch inside where um, you find the guy encased in stone, uh, Sarak Rizmalk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you oh, find yeah, out... That's the- yeah. Yeah. He you find out that he's like one of the main I guess proto whatever you call it. Well, you, he's like a scientist who invented the atomic bomb and that he he uh he's the one that actually, you know, unlocked the idol of sorrow I guess in the first place or whatever. Um so or yeah. he has a hand in uncovering the idol in the first place like so he you know he talks about himself as an archivist or an archaeologist and like uh he's like you know we didn't know what we were doing kind of thing and as penance he's mm-hmm. like as penance he's like turned into stone and it's never really clear um what did this or why that happened or whatever but like there's a little cool stretch inside that little house uh, or a mansion um i really like that yeah that was that was cool and that was the one thing i took out of that was like how this guy is basically like accepting the responsibility for it, taking the blame for it. And like, he's punishing himself by uh, like committing to like, you know, just leave me here. This is, this is my fate. This is my punishment, you know? Yeah. So um, yeah. And then finally, cool. finally before like the last area, I guess what I want to talk about the one boss fight I kind of did like, even though it was challenging okay. uh, is the prison area. Um, when you get into the final stretch, absolute, like, you know, last moments of the game before you, you know, do the, uh, you know, the big moment we could talk about. Um, there's that prison section where those yeah. dogs are chasing you through both the levels, whatever. Uh, but oh, then, yeah, right. Yeah, the boss that you find in that area, I do think is kind of like a proto Artorius in that that's the, that's the enemy I was talking about where, like, they kind of play with your stamina system and your, uh uh your uh, uh swerving and like uh strafing mechanics where he like does like a lot of cool like uh, sword swipes multi attacks uh he's like way faster than anything you've fought uh again in the in- evoking that artorius feeling of like really giving you that cool one on one duel i remember having a good time with it i don't know if you did but uh, that one stuck out stuck out to me yeah, I do remember actually like kind of enjoying that. I think I beat him on my first try because I was yeah. like very He's not, like particularly hard, but yeah. Yeah, I, and like by that point in the game, you have a certain level of mastery on the the combat system. Yeah, I do remember that being pretty pretty cool. Like I I wouldn't say it's like a a good you know boss by modern standards, but it, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah. So moving into like the final area of the game um past the 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 graveyard with or the uh the battlefield with all the dragon skeletons that was kind of cool visually but i actually didn't like being in that level i just kind of made a mad dash through it uh so after you put the idol on this uh you know pedestal where it's supposed to be um you are kind of swallowed up and you get you go inside of the you're inside of a living creature. You see like the walls are fleshy. It really reminded me of Jabu Jabu's belly in Ocarina of Time. Um, 
like almost that same level of like living, breathing uh, walls and floors and ceilings. The the guide calls the boss uh, uvula of the dark one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And so uh, that might actually be similar to what you're doing in Jabu Jabu's belly in Ocarina of Time. I know you're smacking okay. like things that look like uvulas and yeah. uh, stuff like that. Um, so this is where that King's map really came in handy. I'm mm-hmm. glad that like I used a guide that told me to pull out the King's map because it's actually useful, unlike the other maps. Uh, but w- there were a lot of enemies in there, but they weren't really that hard. But what I want to talk about is the the final boss fight, uh, which is like a bed of chaos or a Zelda boss or something. Mm-hmm. So it's actually like, if anyone's listening and you haven't played, it's this big arena. And instead of actually like fighting a, a creature, a monster or a person or something like that, it's like a Zelda thing where you, you're in this arena, there's a bunch of enemies in the arena. You basically have to just sprint through and you have to run up these ramps and get to the bosses. Looks like a uvula or something like that. Right, right. And you have, you have to hit it. Once you hit it, the floor collapses. You fall down. You have to run up and do it two more times um, and uh, smack it. I think I, I got lucky. Like there was a, a glitch or something. The second time I hit it, the floor fell away, but I was like standing in a part where I just stayed up there. So I just smacked it again and the game ended, but it's really odd that that's like the final boss. You know, you are inside of this, like, you know, great evil greater than, you know, just fighting Mm -hmm. a, you know, an undead Lord or something like that, you know, absolutely. You're inside of a monster. Yeah. And I feel like, um, this is a trope of older games and like uh, maybe I, especially true of the Kingsfield games if you look at the final bosses of Kingsfield stuff too is like all of the melting walls around you and like uh, weird bursts of color everywhere it does they do want to give you that acid trip kind of feeling like right at the end like uh, yeah, everything's yeah. <laughs> so woo psychedelic we're putting all our colors in here whatever um, I remember being slightly underwhelmed by this um, yeah I felt I remember maybe I didn't have as easy a time as you. Maybe I got unlucky or something. I remember being. Oh, like, I died a lot. Yeah. Like I, I remember being I, a bit I, of a tedious. Lucky I was playing with save states because I died. Right, right. You know, at least like at least five times uh, in this fight. For sure, and uh, yeah, it's it's just um, I, I remember it being like pretty easy with the moonlight sword. Um, yeah, you're right. You're. I. Uh, it's coming back to me. Yes, you do have to run run up. Uh, you have to hit it, fall down, run up the ramps. Um, yeah, do do that a few times and you're successful, but there's just a lot going on otherwise. So, yeah. It's, there's, um, there's a lot of enemies, yeah. Yeah, so for sure. Uh, that that definitely is like a Kingsfield-y final boss for sure. I mean, I I think the first game has like Seat as your final boss, actually. Uh, the, okay. Yeah, the enemy you fight at the end is called Seat. And I remember it being like this very similar sort of overwhelming arena or, uh, you know, just uh, in terms of design aesthetics, everything being, it does feel like paint being splashed on a wall design aesthetic a little bit. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Just kind of overwhelming you. It's like trying to do like similar, something uh, similar to like passage of light, but like 
uh, all around you or whatever, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I think it's odd that this is like what the final boss is, but like in the story, you're trying to destroy this immense source of evil. So it, it kind of makes sense that, you know, you're not just fighting Ganondorf, you know, right. it's like you're fighting something much bigger, much more powerful, much more, you know, cosmic even than, uh, than that. So it, it is cool, but like, and actually now that I'm thinking about it, had they designed like a super challenging, like night type enemy to fight as the final boss, it probably would have been too hard and it probably would have sucked. So I'm now that I'm talking my way through this, it's thematically cool. It's visually cool. And it's also probably the right decision for the game to end with a boss like this. Yeah. And good, good, uh, you know, sort of touch point on like bringing a better chaos. Cause like, I think it's like a very similar, um, sort of like if you're looking into the deeper story, you know, um, you know, the, the rot that fell upon the civilization kind of being, you know, beneath, you know, everything in the ancient city. It's like that sort of, you know, I do feel like that it's an intentional thing of like everything being, you know, having to go to the bottom of where everything started sort of thing. And I I do think Mm -hmm. like the fact that you find, you know, some of the enemies and like, uh, warped nights or whatever uh even the surrounding area i believe it ha- kind of has like that encroaching darkness feeling um yeah of uh very similar to bed of chaos of where of all those roots are kind of coming out of there you know kind of thing yeah um i think this boss is better than the bed of chaos though which is um right interesting because this game is 10 years older than dark souls but i think this is a much better fight than bed of chaos <laughs> that's why i said it's a good touch point because it yeah. <laughs> it's making me think about that now too. And you might absolutely be right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then after you beat the final boss, you get kind of a jarring, uh, happy ending cutscene. It's like a, you know, the, the sun comes out and the forest regrows and like, mm-hmm. you get like this, you either get a voiceover or like a text scroll. You just that get basically text says, yeah. yeah. And it, it basically says like the evil was rooted out and the land lived in prosperity. And it's this happy ending that coming to it for, as a fan of souls and bloodborne, there are no happy endings in those games. Mm-hmm. So like seeing a happy ending here was like, Oh, interesting. Like this is like a Disney movie ending at the end of this game. Yeah, and I, there is, like, <laughs> something to sort of being jaded by that, you know? As in, like, you know, it was subversive to give you a non-happy ending, you know, when I guess when, right. when you see it in, you know, first time in, like, Souls or some of, like, you know, games that you see now. But, like, that's why I, I said it felt quaint and uh, pleasing almost to me when I first saw that as, like, to, you know, as, for example, right? The bravest thing, in in my opinion, that Elden Ring can do is have a happy uh-huh. ending, right? Like at the end of at the end of Kingsfield Ancient City, I see civilization, I see people on streets, and like you know, uh, you know, life going on because all all that you did meant something. Um, yeah. So it would be a subversion now for Elden Ring to have a happy ending, right? Um, You're right. So, yeah. So I would think it would be really brave of them to go go down that route. And, um, you know, so let's see. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. And like, uh, 
we can, like I said, when this episode comes out, Elden Ring will be out. People will have beaten it by the time they hear this episode. So like we may uh, have an answer for that. I I think that would be really interesting because nothing I've seen about Elden Ring suggests that there will be anything happy happening. Yeah. At At least I don't want there to be a cycle again or something, I guess, because yeah. uh, you know, Dark Souls did it so well. I just don't want another cyclical story or whatever. Well, like the, you know, Dark Souls 3, you put an end to the cycle. Uh, That's what Dark Souls 3 is about, is the ending of uh, the cycle. So maybe they're leaving that behind. And um, it's, you're right, it would be interesting, really interesting, if Elden Ring uh, ended with a, like, you know, I assume you're going to, I'm on Elden Ring blackout i i know mm-hmm. nothing about like the story setup or anything like that so i assume it's another you know ruined kingdom full of monsters mm-hmm. it would be really interesting if it ends the way that kingsfield 4 does yeah and uh, you know as long as we're on that note like i you know miyazaki when he gave interviews for elden ring made it a point not to say open field i think to in response to uh, open world in response to a question he said you know, instead of calling it an open world, I think I'd like to call it an open field game or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. if you play like these early Kingsfield games and Kingsfield Ancient City and to an extent Dark Souls, you know, they're all interconnected, like large uh, spaces, uh, you know, not technical open world in the way you think about it. And, um, you know, I know that you're an Elden Ring blackout, so I'm not going to talk about stuff I saw in the network test or whatever, but like, uh-huh. it's going to be that. interesting just <laughs> to see. I think it's just going to be interesting just to see if like any Kingsfieldiness shows up in Elden Ring. Uh, mm-hmm. So we'll see. Yeah. Safe, safe to assume it's going to have a moonlight sword oh. <laughs> and uh, safe to assume there will be a crestfallen warrior somewhere, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. see other than that. Yeah. All right. Well, dude, this has been a uh, just great conversation. Um, I've, I agree. I've had a blast talking about Kingsfield. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I, uh, as I said, like, I just love it so much that, uh, you know, it's just a great like little present to like be able to talk to someone about it for this long. This is, this is great. Thank you so much. Yeah. And like, there's always this like kind of internal struggle when I'm thinking about like what games to do on the show. Like I could focus on really popular games that are going to get a lot of people to download and listen to the podcast. But uh, when I was playing Kingsfield, I was like, this game's fucking cool. And like, I want to share with people like Mm -hmm. a game that maybe a lot of people haven't heard of, or even if if you're really into FromSoft, maybe you've heard of it, but you're like, I don't know if I want to play that. So like, I'm happy to take the time to talk about this game because I think it's really cool. And I'm really glad that I got somebody else who feels the same way as I do, uh, maybe even more strongly than I do, to come on the show and chat. So again, uh, this has been great. Mystic, thanks for coming on, dude. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And again, if you want to support Tales from the Backlog, the best thing to do is tell people about it. And, uh, you know, ratings if you can, subscribe and uh, get on social media. Mystic has given me a big list of very cool resources, guides, uh, YouTube videos about Kingsfield 4. So those will all be in the episode description as well. So again, thanks for listening, everybody. See you next time when we see the next game that comes out of the backlog. Mm-hmm.